Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Monday pod, which is actually dropping on a Wednesday. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-host Stacy. That's at Stacy Pat Eight Nine. Stacy, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Uh, nice waking up after a win. Two wins, actually, two in a row. The Knicks are—they're streaking. They're making a push for the playoffs now. Going no, streaking. <laughs> uh, yes, they are. But before we get into all of that, I want to introduce you to our guest. Uh, who has been on here multiple times, but not for a little bit. His name is Jeffrey Rasmussen. You know him as Frank, at Frank Barrett. Is it 11-9? Is that it? Yeah, it's 11-9. I, I didn't want to do 9-11 for, I think, <laughs> I, th- I think obvious reasons. But uh, yeah, it's 11-9. Uh, and that's on Twitter. Uh, he does all of the post-game threads uh, on the Strickland's website. Or sorry, on the Strickland Twitter. And he also probably has done like 75% of the recaps for the site. So, uh, Jeff, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm really pumped up after these last two games. I know we're not supposed to be rooting for wins, but it's kind of hard not to. And especially when they're happening this way, when guys that we've been saying can matter and should matter more for what seems like years are starting to contribute more. So it's just really exciting. And yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really pumped to talk about how Alec Burks is leading us back to glory. Um, but <laughs> Alec Burks got us. Yeah, he do, he do got us. Uh, but before we get into all of that, I do need to announce that the Strickland has a Patreon. You can subscribe to it for multiple tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. It also gets you access to the Strickland mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. That will be dropping on Thursday this week. In addition to that, you also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation about the Knicks never quite stops. There's further tiers. It's a $9 tier. That gets you access to my solo pod, Strick and Roll, uh, where I often mostly yell about the Knicks even more. Uh, but sometimes I do podcasts that have nothing to do with the Knicks, like this week, where I did a podcast about football, which was great. It was wonderful to not talk about the Knicks. Uh, you also, more importantly, get access to weekly articles by the wonderful Jack Huntley and Matthew Miranda, two of the best writers out there in all of writing. Uh, I'm serious about that. In addition to that, there's further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and a $100 tier. You get access to merchandise discounts, listening in on pod recordings, even potentially hosting a pod yourself with us, with me, yours truly. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. None of this would be possible without you. And without further ado, let's talk about the New York Knicks, who won two in a row. They beat the absolute shit out of the Clippers, um, and then basically ended up beating the absolute shit about uh, absolute shit out of the Sacramento Kings last night. Um, yeah, look, look, Jeff, Jeff touched on this, um, but you know, look, uh, it's been really nice to see quickly string together 
what to me is about seven uh, games in a row where he looked tangibly, I would say, more decisive at the very least, regardless of how he shot. Um, obviously, the shooting has picked up too. Um, I think it's been really exciting to see him. It's been really exciting to see Deuce um, get more minutes and actually like. It's actually really funny watching Deuce because right now he's playing very much like Frank Nilakina, like not doing anything on offense. Um, but his defense is having a palpable impact. I think it helps quickly to have another guard like that next to him that can share some of the defensive load. I think he's a better on-ball defender than quickly, and quickly is a much better off-ball defender, so they complement each other well. Um, and it's just been fun to see those two and Reddish, uh, who got hurt last night. But I'm actually I'm not sure how serious that was. I know they said he was in a sling, but so like, Ian Ian Begley literally just said uh, he's out for tomorrow, uh, and Mitch is questionable. Yeah, I mean, I figured he would miss it's the next sprained game. right shoulder. That's what they're calling it. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think it was super serious. I don't have no idea what a sprained right shoulder means. So I would assume that he's probably not going to be out for like some extended period with that. But um, the Knicks have been pretty cautious with the injury, so I imagine he's probably done for this road trip anyway. Um, but yeah, like it's just been fun to watch them, and you know, Tibbs probably because injuries are forcing his hand, he's had to kind of stagger the minutes more and play RJ with those bench guys a lot. And it's been fun to see that. It's been fun to see Sims get some more minutes. Um, he actually only played 11 last night, but I actually, I didn't have a huge problem with that. Uh, mostly because I thought Taj did give us really good minutes yesterday. And also because Tibbs played small a lot yesterday, which I'm never going to complain about that. He played Randall to five uh, a ton yesterday. He even went to it a little bit against the Clippers. So yeah, I mean, look, Jeff touched on it, but again, like just to see a lot of these things that we've been asking for starting to happen, whether by design or by a lack of options that he has, but um, to see them happening and then to see them actually pushing the Knicks in the right direction uh, is a really good sign. And yeah, like just even the loss to, to Phoenix, um, who I know they didn't have Booker and they didn't have Chris Paul, but like, I mean, they lost by three to Milwaukee on Sunday. Like that was a game the Knicks probably should have won, um, and that was even without Rand. Randall got ejected what uh, in the third quarter, I think, in that game. So um, whatever it was, like the Knicks have played a lot better coming out of this break. Even the two losses to Philly, I thought, were fine. Um, and increasingly, as their depth has gotten depleted, I think we've seen a lot more of what all of us have been asking for and wanting more of. Yeah, for sure. There's a uh, there's obviously still more they can do, you know. Like, and it's going to be especially interesting when Grimes, who, despite being a rookie, um, has proven to be a, a Tibbs favorite, so he's going to hop right back into the rotation. And you know, I'd imagine he's going to take Deuce's spot in the short term, but he's not only going to you know play Deuce's minutes. So is IQ going to play less? Is Tib's going to keep mixing and matching more. Um, yeah, I mean, the jury's still out there. Uh, but it's just, I mean, we're not here to talk about, you know, bad stuff. Let's, let's talk about the good stuff. Um, it's just really, I mean, last night's game was just overwhelmingly positive on pretty much all fronts. Um, I saw some people say that, like, the only difference between quickly last few games and the rest of the season is that shots were going in, but... I mean, I just don't see it. I, I'm not watching the same games as these people because quickly is 
probably the most all-around impactful player on the team to me. Um, I actually just clipped together some uh, plays from the game last night to do a quickly thread because that was the thing that I was thinking about. And I, I only did clips from plays where he was impacting the game in a non-shooting perspective. And they were just all over the place. He had his hands all over the game. Every time he's in, the pace uh, heightens or quickens or whatever word you want to use there. Um, and now I think, I don't know if it's a Tibbs thing, if it's just him growing as a player thing, but these last few games, he's crashing the defensive glass more to, to start the possessions even faster. Um, he got a couple really nice defensive rebounds and just instantly pushed the pace. Um, he didn't uh, make as many nice passes in this game as he did in the Clippers game, but I mean, that Clippers game, he had so many uh, really nice different assists where he was dishing all over the place. I just, I don't know. I, I think that the non-shooting part of his game has been really, really good all season. And I don't understand why people try to like force him into this box. Like it's like they made this decision about who he was when he was drafted and they're unwilling to shift from that perspective. And I do not understand that at all. I mean, I guess I would understand it if it was like a neutral fan, but I don't understand it from a Knicks fan perspective. Like, don't we all want him to be more and better? What, why are they more uh, valuing like their own opinion over? I, I don't know. I don't get it. Anyways, because most, um, of, most of these most of these people don't actually like uh, the quickly stuff has just been so fucking stupid. And we can just call out the people like Tommy D. He's a fucking idiot um, and has been like more like he had this random tweet after the fucking Philly game. Like, oh, uh, Tyrese Maxey is what Knicks fans think Emmanuel quickly is, which makes I don't even understand what that means. Um, that's of, that's another thing that even people like quickly. That's something people should. They're extremely different players. They're really good friends. They both have like a high motor, very high work ethic guys. But they're. I mean, they'd be great. They're were great together. But one is a guy who loves to attack the rim, has a pretty good developing pull up game in Maxi. But he is a guy that wants to live at the rim. He's strong. He gets through guys. He's vertically a little bit underrated, even though he's not John Morant or something like that. Um, and also and that's the benefit of being allowed to play a lot. Sure, sure. Um, but, he, didn't, he, didn't, and, he did not last year, right? So last well, year, the opposite would have been true. Quickly right, had no chance last year. Right, but like my point being is, this like would Tibbs have started? I don't think Tibbs would have given him the opportunity. He got this <laughs> even shorthanded. Um, and then, forgetting that, Maxie's really my, my point player. is, yeah. No, my point is not that Maxie's better necessarily. It's just that they're different players, you know? Like, so when that, it's like they're just completely different players, you know? Well, it's also um, like, why Why are we, like, upset that, like, then he had another one today that was, you know, I don't even, I, I actually don't follow him and I haven't muted, but um, that gets posted in the Discord sometimes, but uh, he had one today that was like, oh, it's so funny to see, like, people victory lap quickly and just, like, just be happy that he's doing what he is. And it's like, isn't that what we're doing when we're, like, fucking celebrating his performances? I don't know. Like, I don't really understand the quickly discourse. Um, I think that he is good. Like, I just think he's a good player. Um, I forgot who. I think uh, Azulo, uh, friend of the pod, he uh, he posted a tweet to, or he had a post. He posted a tweet today that was like, "Quickly's been a net positive this entire year while shooting like crap, and now the shooting is coming around." Like, what do you think is going to happen? He's going to become even more and more of an impactful player. And, like, that's really what it is. And it's not just the shooting that's coming around. I think he's also just playing. 
Uh, funny enough, uh, Wally Zerbiak, who we all note as a ex- excellent basketball mind, uh, but he was talking about it on the post game yesterday. He was just talking about how, like, you know, him and Han were just talking about how, like, you can with quickly you could kind of see at points in the season where he was trying to balance so much of like I'm the point guard and I have to get everybody else involved and not just look to score. And now I think he's kind of just like going. He's just trying to he's playing with pace, which is the biggest thing. Like the 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 speed with which he's bringing the ball up now. It's not just the rebounds. I mean that that helps the cause, but like when he's getting those rebounds He's pushing the ball up the floor super fast. Um, and that doesn't mean that we're getting a shot up, you know, in three seconds, but we're getting into the offense a lot faster. And that generates better looks. I think it's getting him going. I think it's making him naturally more aggressive. And I think that it's making the reads for him a lot easier, too, where it's like he's not having to navigate against a set defense, five guys keyed in on him, right? Like, He's all he's going against an imbalanced defense. Um, teams aren't exactly matched up. I just think it's making things a lot easier for him. And I think he and his own decision making have made things a lot easier for him. And um, you know, look, like we can be honest about it. Uh, the fact that there are injuries and that he kind of has to play a certain amount of minutes, um, it helps him. It it helps anybody, right? Like he, there's no danger of him getting pulled after he makes one stupid mistake uh, because he can't. And quite frankly, he shouldn't. And he really never should have been this season um, because even in the midst of his terrible shooting slump, he was still overall a net positive because he was playing defense well. He was passing well. Like there's just things he does consistently that are really good. And I think, uh, you know, I would say even, I, don't, I forgot who we played before Brooklyn was the OKC. I actually thought in that game he played fine. He just didn't hit shots. Um but against Brooklyn, I thought he played well. And then obviously since the break, he's been really good. I, I just like how he's playing. I think he's playing with an enthusiasm again. Um, and, you know, that that group, again, like with him and Deuce and Reddish, uh, it feels like he's very comfortable with that group and it's getting the best out of him. And, and I mean, look, I just think the more reps we can get him and RJ together, the better, because they have naturally complementary games, even if quickly is not quote unquote a true point guard or you know rj is a point forward whatever the hell whatever you want to label these guys doesn't really matter to me and and quite frankly i think that's where this entire quickly discourse has become so stupid this year because it's like well he's not a true point guard like well you need a true point guard true point guard fucking floor general like call it whatever you want i don't really give a fuck but like he's playing well he helps the team he has skill sets that are complementary to the best players. I don't give a shit what you want to call that position. If it's fucking point center, cool. I don't care. Play him. Like he's a complementary fit with your key players. So it doesn't really matter to me what he is, because what he is ultimately is a very good fitting piece next to an RJ Barrett alongside an uh, Julius Randle. Like he he makes sense with basically anybody on this roster for sure. And really like I mean, try and think of a player in the NBA that you'd be like, nope, can't play those two together. You really can't. Um, he's he's just a very, very easy player to plug and play, and, and he's a, he's effective at it. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, this the, the discourse about him this year has really driven me nuts and been very, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I've kind of gone away from the Emmanuel Quickly Wars. Um, you see a lot of stupid comments, but... Um, I mean, it's just, uh, you don't have to interact with people you don't like on this app, you know? 
Um, and, uh, you know, it, he will be what he's going to be. I do think, I mean, we know that there are certain things that are still evolving in his game. I think he's done a much better job of getting to the rim. He has the craft to eventually make that a higher part of his game, but it's not where it needs to be for him to be a, like a lead guard consistently in the half court as much as you might like. What has helped him there is RJ Barrett. And this is what, um, I was talking about this with Prez in, you know, a little bit more of a, you know, in an interesting you know, like if quickly, you know, if we have RJ Barrett as this guy who can get to the rim, like, do we still need a guy like Brunson? And I still think most of us would say yes, right? But next to a guy like Barrett, it's it works really well with quickly because quickly can still push the pace, right? He's probably still better at bringing the ball up, um, at getting them into a set and then moving off ball. And then if they don't get a transition look or something quick, he can play off RJ, right? Who's getting downhill, who can, you know, who puts that rim pressure threat on defenses. That's why really, really work well together. And the fact of the matter is it's tough. It's tougher to find guys like that than guys who can play a nominal point guard or play as, a, as the, as the guy bringing the ball up, but can also space the floor also move well without it also add value on defense. That's really rare to find. Right. Um, and he's doing all those things. Um, and, um, you know, I think that I think that there are probably there's probably very few players you wouldn't want him to play next to. Uh, I think the lineups he's had the most issues with is when it's just like him, Burks, like all off ball guys and no one who can get like without RJ, like, you know, especially earlier this year when he was strictly with the bench and Tibbs wasn't staggering RJ. I think that's when he struggled a little bit with his shot selection because he was struggling to get to the rim. And with him and Burks, it's just it became a take turns thing. But he's playing with more pace. Um, and I mean, you still have people complaining, oh, he dribbles too much. I think it's worth noting, there's a difference in like dribbling into an ISO with eight seconds left when somebody gives you the ball and you're the option of last resort and dribbling out the clock with 23. Like he's also he no, no other point guard dribbles. It's just quickly. He's the <laughs> yeah. only point guard that ever dribbles. That ever dribbles. And, and then, and then the last thing is I'll say, I think this is also an area of growth yesterday. He, he went against Davion Mitchell, who's like extremely a very uh, aggressive defender who's made really good players very uncomfortable this year and quickly had to fight through that. And I think ball pressure and traps at half court are something where he's been a little bit up and down with. And I thought he did a great job yesterday. He had maybe one mistake in one of those against the Clippers. That's where playing him with someone like Deuce helps a little bit because Deuce has those skills too. Um, but um, but it, he's a value add. I mean, I think all of the... like it's it's really they've all been really impressive and i think what's very frustrating is we finally saw that lineup right quickly mcbride cam rj and and sims and there's no like laws about veterans on there there's no laws about you need a rim they did it with randall yesterday at the five right it's showing that a lot of the things we were told must be gospel right you you can't play deuce he's a second round pick he won't be ready well he's looked ready right he's not doing much on offense but he's hit open threes when they've come to him He's made the right pass. He's not overwhelmed. And on defense, he's, he certainly he's easing himself. He's, he's, he's easing his way in. I have no problem with anything he's doing right now on offense. Yeah. And, and frankly, he, like, but he's not, he's not like, frankly, yeah, that's what yeah, he does. And, <laughs> well, like he, he's not, he's not um, like, to me, he's not 
getting the ball and killing possessions. Like he's the ball's just not finding him right now, which is a separate issue. But like he's not getting the ball and it's like, oh my God, like what am I supposed to do with it? Like I feel like when he does get the ball, he's generally at least keeping the ball moving or making a quick decision. And he didn't he's he never looked, he never has looked he, in any of his minutes, he didn't shoot the ball well early in the year when he got his chance, but he did have one really nice game. He hasn't looked out of place and he certainly hasn't looked like he's still adjusting to the speed of the game. They're not having a major impact on offense yet. But yeah, to your point so, and if he's giving you value on defense, if that unlocks, if that helps other players, he actually makes other players better on defense, right? Because when you know he's going to get over screens, it can make you, it, it makes your job easier. It can allow you to take certain risks. If you know he's a great help defender, if he can recover. Um, and then, yeah, and, and Randall quickly, said, quickly said that in the post game yesterday. Yeah, he said and that, he said that playing with Deuce makes him a better defender. Yeah, and that's and you had RJ at the four. So RJ at the four reddish. Oh my God, who's going to rebound? They managed fine. Randall at the five. Oh my God, who's going to defend? They managed fine. So we had all of these things we were told were gospel, and maybe we wouldn't have won more games, but it certainly makes for a more exciting brand of basketball. And you do wonder if whatever the end game of this Knicks roster of this front office is. If we want more lineups that look like that, you know, maybe with better well, talent, we, but yeah. We, we'd have won more games. I don't think we need to, like, not, we don't need to, like, we definitely would have won more games. Um, if, if only because, like, trying those things more would not have meant that, like, Tibbs could never play the veterans. And that's why it was, it's pretty, it was always presented as this, like, idiotic binary where it's like oh well now you just want to play the kids and never play vets like like no that's not what i'm saying like or what i don't think that's what any of us are saying it's just like hey you do have these kids though who can be used like let's be real right like they like the best thing about these units with the younger guys and this is something i tweeted out today um i've mentioned it before but like whatever you want to say about their free agency approach and like criticism of it is warranted and fair and that's fine but like when you look at what they've assembled via the draft and i would include cam reddish as like part of that group just because he's a younger dude i would imagine that if there was any push to go get him um internally it was probably based a lot on pre-draft eval um but like these younger dudes this group of younger guys that they've assembled they're all pretty versatile. I mean, even Tibbs talked about it uh, pregame yesterday, where he talked about how like that group with Quickly and Deuce and Reddish and RJ, like all those guys can guard multiple positions. They can guard up and down a position. So like it makes them a lot more viable as a switch team. Um, it it really makes it easier to contain penetration because of that. And I think like you know again like. Uh, whatever you want to say about these young guys, they're, they are versatile and they all, there's various groupings of them that you could play together. I mean, we haven't even seen Grimes get a chance with a lot of these guys either. So like all these guys can fit in a variety of lineups with each other. I mean, the least flexible of the young guys that we have is probably what, like Sims, Mitch and Obi, right. which, for, which are like for obvious reasons. We're not, and like defensively, I would say Sims is extremely versatile. Like I, I don't, I'm not worried about that at all, actually. Um, but like, yeah, I just think that like, if nothing else, the reason that why it would have helped us win more games if we had gone to playing young guys more and trusted them a bit earlier is because they can fit into so many groupings. So like, even if you still want to play Evan and Burks together or Evan with Julius or whatever, like having these young guys that can inject some energy and defensive kind of steel into your lineups 
while not compromising your offensive spacing and probably in a lot of ways helping it or even aiding kind of just the speed with which you play at, um, it would have made a I think it would have definitely tilted more than a few games. I mean, look at how many games the Knicks have fucking blown um, over the course of this year that were just close on the margins, you know? Like, it, it's it's a ton. And, and, I mean, you were actively starting your worst lineup for, I think, 37 games this year with Kemba in the starting lineup. Like, there's just so many things that would have been different. And do I think the Knicks would have become some world-beating team? No. But, like, I do think that we would be... I, I feel like the entire kind of view and tenor of the season would be very different um, if we had leaned into that sooner. Well, actually, according to Tibbs, we would have lost more games because the young guys are the reason. <laughs> the young guys are the reasons we lost those close games. So, if they were playing in more of those close games, we would have lost more. Um, <laughs> uh, the versatility thing I want to touch on for a second because I'm going to push back a little bit on something. Uh, I guess both of you said because uh, Schwinn, you said that you thought that or you feel like uh, they've simplified Quickly's decision making and sort of. Um, like almost tightened the box he's in, and then no, no, no. I think I think he's simplified it. I think he is okay. figured out like, hey, look, I I just need to to get myself going, and then I mean, you just look at if you look at kind of when he's racked up his assists in the last few games, it's after he's gotten himself going. Like he's found, he's scored, and then because he's scoring, it opens up easier passing opportunities for him, and like that's fine. Like that's. That's who he is as a player. Like he is naturally geared to be a scorer. You don't want to change that. You just want to harness it, maybe, and like use it in ways that open up passing opportunities and assist opportunities um, for him to generate shots for his teammates. And like, look, there's still moments where he probably needs to improve at that. But like, I think overall, I, I mean, if he's trending this way for the rest of the year, and obviously RJ, the way he's playing, who we'll talk about a little later, but like. If he plays like this the rest of the year, I mean, I'd be fucking thrilled. Like, I'd be ecstatic about it. And I would not, I think it would also impact how the Knicks feel about making decisions moving forward. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, you're fine. Um, I was just going to expand on uh, Stacy talking about the the quickly Burks-Fournier back three. And uh, I coincidentally had just looked it up, and that threesome plus Randall has played over 100 minutes this year, and their net rating is plus 15. Um, hmm. They've been really good. But that is what wanted... Randall being there, right? So, I, Oh, yeah, like... yeah, for sure. Um, but I just wanted to compliment uh, Tibbs because, I mean, we've all been very hard on him. And one thing I've really, really liked these last few games, um, and obviously it goes to – it goes hand-in-hand hand with staggering him with Randall – but when you think about Thibodeau and the way he rotates, he almost views guys as their positional backups. Like he has a starting lineup and then he has the bench guys. And when it's a 10 man rotation, it's somebody is always coming in for player X. So these two will probably, unless they both have it going, will probably not see the floor together. And that's just how he sees things. Um, But since the break, He's come back and the staggering of RJ and Randall has happened. But what he's done is he's brought quickly off the bench for RJ. And then he's brought RJ in for Burks. So quickly plays with the starters and he's sort of the nominal point guard. And he doesn't have RJ next to him as like 
the primary perimeter initiator. So he's kind of like the main engine almost like obviously Randall still is, but he has a lot of responsibility and I feel like he's kind of thrived there. And then RJ comes in against the opposing bench units and he leads the Knicks bench and quickly sort of becomes the secondary option. And I've really liked that it's let quickly sort of dip his toe into, okay, how can he serve as like a primary initiator with the starters against opposing starters, but it hasn't overtaxed him and it hasn't overburdened him. And I think we're seeing really good results. And I think it's helped him to expand his game. And as Schwinn said, I wish we had trusted him to do this earlier because I think we could have seen these returns earlier. Yeah, I think that um, that's that. And quickly, just one example, right? I think playing Deuce earlier instead of Kemba um, or the Point Burks experiment. Um, obviously, waited a long time to play Cam. Um, and I mean, how much? Sean, I'll throw this to you. How much credit can we give him, given that a lot of this is injury forced? I mean, I know people are going to like. I, I want to be balanced, so like, I do think he deserves some credit. Um, I mean. Even if he's shorthanded, like as as Jeff pointed out, like he is yes, he's shorthanded, but he could easily have quickly come in for Burks. And like, you know, like he could easily do it the other way, but he's doing it in this way, and I do think it's a good thing. Um, because it make it gives it gets quickly reps with Randall, and it also gets him quick uh, reps with RJ, but it also staggers the Knicks' three best creators. Um, that they have currently, right? Like you have Randall, you have Quickly, you have RJ. So now, for the most part, the Knicks have two of them on the floor at all times, um, and I think that's a really big deal because what was happening earlier, and I, I forget who touched on this. Maybe it was you, Stacy, or I don't remember if it was you or Jeff. But what was happening earlier was that because he was viewing things as like these hockey lineup substitutions, one for one, Quickly would come in, and he would be with the bench group, and RJ and Randall would be off. And that put all of the onus on him, right? It, it put, or at least an, an overwhelming amount of the onus on him, especially because Rose is hurt and, you know, Burks was in the starting lineup. So now you're not getting minutes with him as a bench guy. Like it, it just put a lot of pressure on quickly. And I think doing it this way, um, it still gives him those point guard on ball reps that he needs for his development. But I do think it makes it a lot more comfortable like it's it's more comfortable and um i I like it i i don't know i would have to watch more miami games but i feel like this is kind of what they do with hero um in a similar sense again i would need to watch it but i feel like he usually comes in and he plays with one of butler or lowry or bam even obviously because he's he facilitates a bunch too um and that helps him kind of because, you know, Hero is another guy, like, yeah, he's developed into a pretty decent point guard, uh, especially for them off the bench, but, like, he's a scorer. You know, like, that's what he is. At his core, he's a scorer. And that's fine. You can still be a point guard and be a scorer, but, like, you have to harness it in certain ways. And I think what this is, allows quickly to do, playing with RJ and or uh, and playing with Randall separately at times, um, they can help share that facilitating load. So... You know, one of the like everybody's like the main thing has been like, well, he plays so well with Rose, right? He plays so well with Derrick Rose, and it's like, yeah, but like, why does he play well with Derrick Rose? It's not like 
they just have this mystical connection and like they like that's it like it's just from some magical solution that makes him work no it's because derrick rose doesn't when he plays with rose the entire playmaking burden is on him right like rose can take the attention of the defense away. He can create for others. He can get into the paint, obviously. Um, and what we're seeing now with RJ, I mean, RJ, <laughs> since the start of the year, since since New Year's Eve, he's averaging 16 drives per game, which is a ton. Um, for comparison's sake, that's basically as many drives per game as De'Aaron Fox is averaging, um, which, you know, penetrating guard, who apparently we needed to trade the future for. Um, but, like, the point being is, He's penetrating so much that when you're playing him now with quickly, you kind of get a similar dynamic. Not the same because Rose's dribble penetration is much more dynamic than anybody else on the roster. Um, but I think you get a similar dynamic. And then obviously when Julius is playing well, um, it's not the same thing, but he draws the attention of a defense. Um, and, and that makes things a lot easier for quickly too. I, I, and like more, more than anything, I just think that he is playing now with, a, a supreme confidence in himself where do I love the possession sometimes where he comes up and I just know he's going to like shoot the ball. No, I don't necessarily love all of them, but I do like that. He has the confidence to be on the floor with guys like RJ and Randall and be like, nah, I'm going to, this is my shot. This is my possession. I'm going to do it. Um, and I think that's on, like an uh, important on, thing. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Sean. I just want to say on on that note, my least favorite thing that Tibbs has infused into this team is the advantage, the the obsession with create with with uh, creating a matchup advantage, and like the the thing quickly specifically does, and and he does it more than anyone, and it drives me nuts. Is when he gets a screen from Sims, and rather than use use the advantage or or Mitch or any center, rather than use the advantage created to penetrate and you know create an advantage for somebody else he just slowly dribbles gets the switch and then goes to work one-on-one and he used to do that way more and i get why people would get like frustrated and like oh i don't want to watch this and i feel like one of the big improvements he's made these last few games is he's touching the paint far more often Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. he's now using those screens to get into the paint rather than trying to do the Julius thing where, okay, I'm just going to get the switch and then I'm going to go to work. He's just freaking going. And I, I really like that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, no, that, no, no. That I mean, that's that match of advanced thing really bothers me. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it was, uh, that's a great point. Like it, it is different. And I mean, it's not just that. I think now he's also, when he gets a switch, he's not just trying to set himself up for a step back. Like he's also looking to drive more. And that's a different, that's definitely a difference from, kind of the mindset he's had for a lot of his time in the NBA where it always felt like he was very, very geared towards hunting for step back threes or off the dribble threes. And I mean, he's still going to do that. Obviously he still takes a ton of those and he should like, that's but it's like what Tim says, right? Let the game tell you what decision to make. Right. So when they, when, when the big is sitting on the drive, he steps back when he has the lane, he's now going in and sometimes going to get a shot blocked or sometimes, you know, something bad might happen. Uh, and then sometimes he's not going to be able to get too much space, but he, if you at least force a help defender to take one step, sometimes that at least opens it up to one of your taller shooters or something like that, right? So I think that, you know, the, the Tibbs quote, I think, let the game tell you what to do. I think that's been very evident in both IQ and RJ's games of late. Um, yeah, and look, 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 we've talked a lot about quickly here, um, which is fine by me. Uh, but uh, I do think we need to talk a little bit about RJ Barrett, who 
obviously, um, you know, uh, what more can you say other than the fact that, um, you know, as Knicks fans, we should all be really depressed that uh, R.J. Barrett is apparently our sole hope for the future. And um, that's apparently a depressing thought, according to certain very, very elite uh, basketball, NBA Twitter, NBA draft Twitter uh, minds uh, who root for the Bulls, who fucking suck and are 0-14 against good teams. So fuck them and fuck that guy. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, R.J. Barrett's been awesome. Uh, it, it's uh, you know, the scoring is its own thing, and the, that that that's fine. I mean, that that's obviously come on leaps and bounds. But I think it's also like it's the fact that now it feels like every game he's getting you twenty two five and five. Like it's every single game for a while. It's felt like he's filling up the box score. He's contributing in a bu- in a bunch of areas, not just as a scorer, but also as a playmaker, helping clear the defensive glass. Um, I just it's really awesome to watch him like it feels like watching for the longest time it you know you as Knicks fans were like man I wish we could just develop somebody and keep them and and it feels like we're watching them actually do it now like this is like a player who has started like he's started basically he started since day one right I don't think he's ever uh I mean I think he came off the bench once that was off to injury or something but like He's basically been a starter since he entered the NBA, and they've stuck with him as a starter throughout all of that time. And I feel like you're starting to see the rewards of that um, kind of uh, rear their heads, I guess. I just, you're just starting to reap those rewards now, and it's really satisfying to see that as a fan. Uh, discussing RJ takes me back to the early 2010s. Um, I used to post on a lot on this, uh, this poker forum called two plus two. And one of the, I mean, there's tons of stuff, you know, tons of NBA stuff, uh, we talked about, but one of the biggest debates ever was the year the Mavs won the title. Um, that was the year Rose won the MVP mm-hmm. and a big debate that season was Dirk versus Dwight Howard. And that was probably the best season Dwight Howard ever had. Um, he was really, really good that year. And I don't want to underrate peak Dwight Howard. He was really good, but, uh, we were just coming into advanced stats then, and a lot of people would be like, oh, well, if Dirk is like way better as an offensive player, why is Dwight Howard's true shooting percentage better? And it's like, okay, well, you have to understand the context of like what each person is shooting and what they're creating and how that drives an offense. And I've seen a lot of people citing R.J. Barrett's true shooting percentage as a reason why he's not actually good. And I just want to like shake those people and be like, I understand efficiency matters. Like I'm the person who will say, you know, like LeBron James is a, how can LeBron James not be a better scorer than Kobe Bryant? If he scores more at a more efficient clip, but like, you know, I digress. Um, But RJ Barrett's true shooting percentage is entirely dictated by his role and his surroundings. And I'm not saying he would be like freaking Steph Curry or like, you know, one of, I, I'm not saying you'd be one of the most efficient players in the league or maybe even like well above average, but just blindly being like, oh, well, he has a 51% true shooting percentage. He can't be good. is just so dumb to me and so upsetting and so like just ignorant. And it just drives me insane. So, you know, I'll let Stacy hop in because I feel like I've been stepping on his toes. But yeah, that, that that's really been driving me nuts. Well, yeah, I mean, the alarming thing, I mean, to those who are alarmed, was um, that he had lower usage and lower efficiency, right? Raising both is tough, but he's done half the leap, right? 
Um, he's raised his usage to star levels. Should he have that long-term? Even Mark Schindler was saying maybe not. But the fact that he can carry that usage without a loss in efficiency does matter. Um, and it's also like, um, you know, somebody was like, well, RJ, you know, RJ shoots 62% of the rim. That's actually below average for people his size. But how many of his people, I mean, I, I haven't seen this. So if, if either of you guys, or maybe maybe Derek has this, right? But I'm curious how many people his size have as many unassisted rim attempts as he does. Um, not to say he's not a good cutter, but he gets there on his own so often. If somebody creates sixty-two percent shots at a high, like at a high volume, it doesn't matter if it's a little bit lower, right? That's still um, that's it's like comparing somebody who um, it's it's just it's a it's a it's a shot that's difficult to get that he's getting you very often, right? Uh, and that context matters in terms of true shooting. Um, I thought his defense, he, he really responds well to that small ball lineup. I think you can see him get a lot more active. Um, and his efficiency is partly being dragged down by the fact that he's trying to incorporate pull-up jump shots and pull-up threes and, um, and um, you know, shots and, and step-backs even that, that, they're not, that he's not particularly efficient on it. But I'm okay. I, if that's what's – like, I would rather have that drag down his efficiency – than what it used to be where he would get into the plate uh, to the paint and not have a plan, right? He would throw up some garbage. There have been very few, like, there are a couple in that that one, um, the 6-for-26 game against Phoenix, but he was also asked to do too much, right? Early in the game, I thought his decision-making was a lot better. He throws up very little garbage that is just like, I got into the paint, but I'm not physical enough, or I'm not willing to bump this guy, or, you know, whatever. I can't create space, and I just have to throw something up. That happens very rarely. Um, so the lack of efficiency is from him trying new things. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that for the, for the moment. Um, I, I'd yeah, also that, just say fun. real quick, I'd also just say real quick, like even in the Phoenix game, I didn't think he drove without a plan. I just think he didn't make shots. Like it was, it was a tough cover. The, in the the fourth, there were a couple of questionable ones, but I think that was because it was the unimaginative, you know, ISO stuff. So yeah, it was, yeah, it, was, it, was, it was, it was Tibbs just saying, here's the ball go. I, I mean, I don't want to, Burry tips, but his late game offense is so just whatever. Like here, here's the ball. Go, go do it. Yeah, and, and I also I, w- I will say this. Like I, this is not necessarily a criticism of Tibbs the last couple of games because, like, I don't know what happened in that Clippers fourth quarter, but it was like he finally got the memo that you don't need to call a set play every single time down in a fourth quarter of a game, and he just let those guys run, and they ran the fucking Clippers out of the gym. Um, and against the Kings yesterday, like, I mean, they pushed the tempo well, but like, let's be real. Like Julius was just on fire. And if he's on fire, you don't need to call shit. Like you can just like that. That's a time where it is okay as a coach to be like, okay, well, if you got it going, like, cool, just get him the ball and clear the fuck out. Like I have no problem with that. Like I agree. Like late game offense, no offense needs to be this complex. Like, like I've watched the Warriors before and been like, why the fuck are they like taking the ball out of Steph's hands and having, you know, they, they always do this, like there's 1700 million things going on in their offense. Right. And that's fine. And it's obviously over the, the full 48 minutes and a full 82 game season and playoffs. There's a lot of value to that, but like there are moments where simplicity is fine. I have no problem with that. Like sometimes it is okay to just get your best guy, the ball, and let him go to work like that. That's that's completely fine. Every coach in the history of basketball has done that at times. So that's not a problem for me. But it's also like, hey, 
when you've had the same fundamental problems all year and Julius has struggled um, to create his shots consistently, like you need to adjust to that as a coach. And um, yesterday was fine. Like I, again, I, I don't give a shit if you just want to give the ball to Julius and he's on fire and he carries you home. You know, there's no problem with that. Like I, I'm good with that. Um, but like in that Phoenix game, as an example, like that was such, that was an obvious time or obvious situation where like, you really needed your coach to come up with something a little bit more creative to help you hang on. And he didn't really show much of anything. And then on top of that, you know, he took, he took cam out of the game. Who's probably one of the few guys in the team that for better or worse is comfortable creating his own shot um, from kind of like w- without an advantage being created for him, right? Like he can just go and get a, a shot up for himself. So like, I, I thought that was really weird, but like, yeah, I mean, again, not to bury Tibbs, but um, you know, if your guy is rolling, you don't need to run a complex offense or have some beautiful play that you draw up. But but what you do need is the ability to do that when called upon, when needed. And he hasn't shown that this year. Um, he didn't show it last year either. But again, Julius had it going last year. So you didn't need to worry about it as much. But when he hasn't this year, um, I think we have seen that 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 specific element is a weakness for Tibbs. What's funny, too, about the Clippers game is, um, and I agree with everything you just said, but I will say, I, I do think that they introduced a wrinkle, um, a play that I personally hadn't seen very much of uh, throughout the season. It was this play where it quickly dribbled up the left side, and Cam would come up and set sort of like a, a, a like a rub screen, and he would slip it to the corner, to the to the strong corner, and then Sims would be right behind him and set the real screen. And this would give quickly like a big head start. And they got a lob out of it the first time they ran it. Sims got into the paint and no one was ready for it. And then the next time the Clippers overreacted to it. And the guy who was on uh, was on cam uh, dipped into the lane to, to hedge on to Sims's dive. And quickly made the right read and kicked it out to cam for a three. And then the third time they ran it. Uh, Sims pretended like he was going to come and screen for IQ, but then turned around and screened for RJ off the ball and quickly uh, went across the top of the key and turned it into a dribble handoff for RJ who got into the paint. And that was just such a cool play for me. And I think he ran it because after RJ struggled down the stretch against Phoenix, Tibbs was like, okay, well, I can't just, even with this bench unit, RJ is who I would trust. And I can't just, I mean, I, I don't think I can just give it to him two games in a row, and expect, so I have to try something. Um, and it was just so interesting to me that, like, finally, this bench unit that he never wanted to play down the stretch, it, like, forced him to be more creative. Um, and I really liked the play. I thought it was really cool, and they ran it, you know, uh, three or four times, and it was successful every time they ran it. Um, but besides from those few plays, you're right. They just pushed the pace, and it was just – letting them play and it was really successful. Um, and I just want to bring it back to something Stacy said about uh, RJ. I want to finish uh, that conversation. Uh, RJ's efficiency. I thought Stacy made such a good point when he brought up the uh, reasons for RJ's sort of uh, lack of efficiency for better, for lack of a better word. Um, another thing that I think even Knicks fans underrate is that he's hurt by the fact that uh, he he is always having a screen set for him by someone who is just not a threat. And if you watch the Knicks as consistently as, and as much as we all do, what you see is RJ get a screen, 
and he gets ahead of steam, but he's just always cut off by the big man's defender. And then he's got his own defender trailing him and they just sort of put him in a box. And I think uh, what he's done these last few games, which has made it even more impressive. And I think somehow Knicks are even underrating him. Schwinn, you talked about it today. He's just said, screw it and embraced his strength and embraced his physicality and his, the combination of his athleticism and his physicality. And we've seen it a number of times. We saw him do it against Terrence Mann. We saw him do it against Harrison Barnes. He is just getting to the basket at will. And it's so impressive. Like he makes getting to the basket look so easy and it's not as easy as he makes it look. It's for a 21 year old to be able to do what he's doing is just awesome. And that's part of the reason why Nick fans are so high on his ceiling, even if they're not able to like verbalize it, they're just sort of like seeing it. And they're like, wow, this guy's going to be good. And that's a big reason why, like he's just going to be getting to the rim at will for years and years to come. And then you're hoping that the other stuff will continue to get better each day. Like it has been. Um, and yeah, I just, I can't be, I couldn't be more pleased with what we've seen from RJ recently. Yeah, and on the screens point, it's worth noting that the recent surges also coincided with Mitchell Robinson looking a lot better. He still had some stinkers in there, but he's played pretty well of late. Um, I, I think RJ actually does a better job of finding Mitch than anyone else on the team out of lobs. But speaking of the cr- screen point, so this is still a small sample. It's only 89 minutes, but in 89 minutes together, Jericho Sims and RJ Barrett have a net rating of plus 19.98. Um, they're putting up 119 points per 100 and about 99 points defensively allowed. Um, so, I mean, if you think he's benefiting, like Sims sets really good screens, um, you know, and, and this is probably going to be skewed a little bit by what they just did in, against the Clippers. But um, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that, it helped quickly too. I think the, having Sims on there, having Mitch being a little bit more engaged, um, you know, it's it's never just one thing. And RJ isn't just the best at finding Mitch on lobs. He's so good at like finding him just on on passes you never see Mitch get. Like uh, and to open the RJ game. manipulates at the rim, right? He uses his threat and he can kind of fake and like he does a lot of those advanced things that that point guards do. And this helps Mitch grow because it forces him to, you know, improve his hands and improve his footwork and feel around the rim because it's not just jumping up and slamming at home. It's catching the ball and pivoting. And then, I mean, yeah, he's still mostly dunking, but I do think someone like RJ constantly pressuring the rim and getting him, getting him these uh, possessions and these different situations really forces him to become a slightly more versatile offensive player. I don't think Mitchell ever be freaking Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but like, I, I really think RJ is helping him a lot. To your point, I think. I think uh, to your point. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if Mitch. I, I'm not sure how tied together those things are. I do think it helps Mitch that, in general, RJ has been getting the ball more and getting more initiating reps, just because I think he is by far the best. Uh, passer we have out of pick and roll on this team in terms of at least just hitting the roll man um, and and hitting lobs and, and all those kind of things. I think he's really the best. He's probably the best. I think he's easily the best, actually, in terms of manipulating the defense to create open shots for shooters. Also, um, I think that's actually probably the most impressive development 
he's made recently is kind of drawing defenders and then swinging it out to the weak side uh, to corner shooters and stuff like that. He's made more than a few passes recently to flash that kind of skill. Um, but um, yeah, and you know, the Mitch thing is interesting because yeah, he has played really well lately. I know yesterday he obviously was sick and basically missed the entire game, but um, you know, the, the Phoenix game, he was incredible, probably the best player in the gym. I know Cam Johnson went off, but um, I thought Mitch was incredible in that game. Um, I thought he was <laughs> incredible against the Clippers also. Um, and it's really good to see that he looks more explosive than he has, but like, you know, with Mitch again, it's about consistency because we've seen him have stretches like this before, even this season. And then he just kind of goes off for a week or then, it, you know, it, he's got to finish the season strong. That's all I can say about Mitch because, um, the guy that played those two games, that's a guy that you are not comfortable letting walk that you don't want to let walk. That's a guy that you want to keep in the building. Um, but he's got to be that guy consistently and he's got to show that. And, you know, yesterday I'm not going to, he was sick. So there's nothing you can do about that. So like, that's fine, but he needs to be a consistent impact player. Um, if the Knicks are really going to get to wherever they're hoping to get to. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I do wonder about the Jericho thing, like how much that helps RJ because he is, a really effective screen setter. I think it's probably helped quickly a bit too. Um, I don't think it's necessarily that like just Jericho's screens themselves are going to vault these guys' efficiency, but um, you know every little bit helps. Every little extra, you know, advantage you can get helps you. And um, yeah, I mean the RJ has just been really really good. I know the efficiency still isn't where you want it to be ideally. Uh, I think he's about 52 and a half for shooting since New Year's Eve. You want to get that up to like 55, 56 and even well beyond that, but like again, this is this is a good sign. He he's upped his usage considerably um and you're you're starting to to really um see what that guy can be. I mean, since uh since that OKC game uh, he is he is fifty two point three true shooting or sorry fifty three point two true shooting, uh, but that's on thirty usage. That's like a massive leap. Last year, I think he was at twenty four. I want to say he's basically been at twenty four his first two years. So to go to thirty and then to also pair that with an increase in efficiency is pretty pretty awesome. Um, he's still a pretty low turnover player. He's just like so strong on the ball; it's hard to rip the ball away from him when, when he drives. Um, and then it's like you know, forgetting the overall nature of it. When you just look game to game, I mean, he had a monster game against Jimmy Butler. You know, he put up forty six on Jimmy Butler. Uh, he obviously had a big game yesterday against the Kings, who are not the greatest team. But like, exactly, they're not the greatest team, and he punished them. And like, these are the things that he is starting to do now with more consistency. Is like when there is a good matchup he is punishing those matchups. Um, and that that's that's all you can do as a player. That's what you have to do as a player. You have to punish teams that give you favorable matchups, and he's starting to do that very consistently. Um, and he's not just doing it individually in terms of capitalizing on it for himself, but he's also creating for others on the team. And um, yeah, I mean, look, I would love to see him more in those Randall at the five lineups. I think he benefits from that, benefits from that as much as anybody. I think him and Julius really, really benefit um, from that extra space. And uh, I just, 
again, I, I can't say enough. I, I'm just been really, really impressed with how he's bounced back over the course of the year from what was a pretty rough start initially. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 plus minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for full list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Void were prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Tennessee, call or text the TN Redline 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888-789-7777 or visit, or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Yeah, and, and that, like I said, I think the efficiency, whatever is lacking there, I think is product of A, missed free throws. <laughs> Um, and B, like I said, you know, he's taking a, he's taking a more difficult shot diet, not because he can't get the other ones, but he's rounding out his game. So I was much more concerned last year, um, or not last year, I would say the beginning of last year, really. And then as a, as a rookie, when he struggled to get separation, he had problems with his gather and taking clean layups. Um, that's gone. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a, a, you know, 70% finisher at the rim. I think he'll continue to improve. He's showing a lot of craft. He's showing great touch. I think that's one thing that even even people whose opinions I respect, I think a lot of people are like, he doesn't have great touch. And I think over the over the season especially, he's he's shown a great understanding of using the glass. I think the floater has come along. He's not, I mean, it's not like some of these elite touch guys, but I think that's kind of underrated for him. And, and I mean, yeah, like hard work is undefeated. So if nothing else, we know that he's going to get every ounce of everything out of himself that he can, uh, every ounce of talent that's in there, uh, you know, that's going to be confirmed. Um, moving on to another young guy uh, who we did talk about a little bit, who just got hurt. Um, you know, Jeff, I'll put this to you. What do you, um, what have kind of your thoughts been on, because we're now starting to get a little bit of a sample size, right? We talked about Deuce. We talked about RJ and, and quickly, what are your thoughts on on reddish you know because he was a little bit of a polarizing topic everyone's like Knicks don't have a plan now he's getting time and you know he's contributed to to both of the wings wins yeah um i think that reddish has been uh really uh strange i guess i was looking for for a better word but like all the stuff that he was supposed to bring not all, but, you know, like, he, he was, like, a Hooper's dream, you know? Like, that's what people said. Like, like that's why everyone loved him. That's why they loved him in Atlanta, and Knicks fans were really excited to see him. But what he's really brought, in my opinion, is stabilizing defense to the bench unit on the wings. Or, like, he, he's just added to it, I guess. I, don't, I shouldn't say stabilizing. But his length is just, like, overwhelming, almost. Like, he's just such a pest. and 
playing for Thibodeau has really forced him to commit. Uh, Benji talked about it yesterday. He still gets lost sometimes off the ball. He gave up a three when he was playing yesterday, uh, just sort of ball watching and, and not fully uh, focusing on that possession. But there haven't been as many uh, possessions like that as you would expect from a guy with his reputation. And what we've seen is him just engaged and using his length to his advantage. He's in passing lanes. He's hounding ball handlers. And, I mean, he's still so young that you really think the sky's the limit for him as a, as a defender because he has this versatility and this quickness where he can guard up. You know, he can guard twos and threes, but then he's got the length and he's got the height and he's got the, the build where, you, you know, he can even hang with power forwards. Um and then offensively, he really hasn't let his lack of a role um, impact the way he uh, like addresses and the way he the way he sees each possession when he gets a chance because he's doing what Thibodeau's asked him. Uh, Schwinn tweeted about the other day. He's not you know forcing mid range shots, and it could be a Nick scheme thing, but he's attacking the rim. He's shooting threes, um, and he's accepting playing off the ball. And I've just really, really liked what I've seen with Cam down the stretch of the Phoenix game, when you know RJ was struggling and Randall was out of the game. He was the one getting to the basket. I'm very surprised at how adept he is um, getting to the hoop. He makes it look so easy. Um, I wrote in the uh, my recap for the. Uh, for the Clippers game, he almost like glides out there. Like it just looks so natural to him. Um, and he's really good at finishing. Uh, you, you were just talking about RJ and his touch around the rim. And I think that's why RJ sort of gets underrated because when RJ or maybe not underrated, but RJ gets viewed the way he does, because when RJ gets to the rim and he's not getting to his spot, he looks very uncomfortable and very mechanical and his floater is like below the rim and it just looks awkward. And Reddish is the exact opposite. He is just pure and he is, it's just completely natural. Um, and then you obviously see the ceiling as a shooter. I'm not sure he'll ever be, you know, a three, a three level scorer. Um, I'm not sure the handle will ever really get there. Like he's not going to be a mellow, but I could see him being a plus on both sides of the ball. And I, I just really, really like what we've seen from him the last few games. Um, yeah, I've been pretty impressed with what I've seen from Reddish uh, since he's been in New York. Anyway, I think the shot selection has mostly been a non-concern for me. Um, he's getting to the line a ton. He's really good at the line. Uh, I think his defense is very much a work in progress, but like you can see the appeal uh, of him on that end. You can see how he's not like unengaged defensively. I wouldn't say that's his issue. He just seems to have really bad brain farts off the ball. Like he had one yesterday where we made a shot and then he was tracking Justin Holiday back and then just like lost track of him somehow and immediately got, they gave up a layup and he was just like he has like these moments like he'll gamble at times where it makes no sense to gamble um he trails his man too much off the ball so that they get end up like either they're and they end up way ahead of him and he's always playing catch up and it creates a overall defensive breakdown there are issues with him for sure but like his activity in the passing lanes his size his switchability 
given kind of how fluid he is athletically. He can guard so many positions. Um, there's a lot to like there for sure. And, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him in terms of, I, I don't, I'm almost positive the Knicks will not extend him this upcoming offseason. And they'll probably have to play it out and see what happens in restricted free agency, or maybe they trade him or something again next year. But like the, I mean, to your point, like yeah, there's things about him that are just very different from RJ. Uh, he can get into gaps in the defense that I don't think anybody else in this team is capable of, um, because he's able to just kind of slide so much more fluidly than anybody else. Um, you can just see it. Uh, you can see why. There are so many people that believe in his upside. Uh, I'm not sure I'm there. I don't. At least I'm not there as far as thinking that he is going to be a star. Paul George. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see that outcome. But like, I mean, we saw yesterday Harrison Barnes. Um, I think he could be like a, a version of that, which would be very, very useful. That's an extremely useful player. Uh, tall wing that can defend multiple positions, knock down a three, create his own shot in a pinch. Uh, those guys are worth their weight in gold in the NBA. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens with him, but it's hard not to be encouraged based on what we've seen. Even before the Clippers game, I would have said that. You know, like, it wasn't just that game and that offensive explosion he had in the fourth quarter. It's just been watching him over his time in New York that you can kind of see why there is such a uh, allure to him uh, for many people. Yeah, and one other thing he does a great job of is getting his hands on like he gets a ton of deflections, right? He can just uh, stick. Like he has those go gadget arms. He can just stick his hand out. Pretty good anticipation, uh, I think. Um, and then you know when you really you know when a, when a ball handler is struggling and like you see him surrounding him, you know it, it's um you know he can really <coughs> cause a lot of problems. One other thing we saw a little bit with the young guys was we saw Duke pick Deuce picking up full court. But I also saw some just genuine like full court pressure from the team. Uh, especially against, I think, the Clippers a little bit more. Um, and, you know, that young lineup can do that more than perhaps the old lineup. But, I mean, Tibbs has, you know, generally been a little bit more conservative with his coverages. But given, you know, you know, it's still early to say on Sims how high of a ceiling he has, but he has that mobility. Uh, you know, you have, one, you have guys that can switch one through four at, at, at the very least, uh, especially the young guys, right? And as this roster evolves... Uh, even, even, I mean, that's probably the thing Julius is best at, right? He's best at switching um, and trapping and instead of like read and react stuff. Do you think, you know, I mean, Tibbs is very much more of that, you know, a little bit more conservative in terms of his scheme. Do you think given the roster, we might see them lean into that more going forward? Uh, I'll let Jeff answer that first. Jeff. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I'm here. Um, I don't know. I, Tibbs just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I mean, yeah, they might mix it in a little bit, but Tibbs just, a tiger doesn't change his stripes too much. He's not gonna, I don't know. If, if Tibbs comes out and just fully embraces, like, this is my roster and I've got a coach to them, then with all the other good he brings, I will do a complete 180 on him. Like, like, but I, I don't know. I, I don't see that. What about you, Sean? I, I don't know if you can trust him to do it. Like, because ultimately what we saw was that when he had options and 
before guys were injured or shut down or whatever we want to call it, when push came to shove, he went with his gut. He went with lineups that were bad, uh, that were veteran heavy, that were substandard in a number of areas, deficient defensively. Um, that's what we saw. And it's been really nice to see that, you know, the young talent that we have, that they there is promise there, that they do look really cohesive together, that they do have naturally complementary skill sets, which allows them to play well as a group. Um, I'm not convinced that Tibbs, like, if Derrick Rose is active, do I think that we see all of this stuff? I don't. Um, if, Nerland I mean, Noel. yeah, like if Nerlens Noel had been healthy all season, do I think that we see Jericho Sims at all? Probably not. Uh, if OB is healthy, do I think that we see Randall at the five um, with a bunch of wings and guards around him the last couple of games for stretches? No, I don't. Do I think that if, you know, um, do I think, like, I mean, we've seen it already this year. Like, we saw that RJ Barrett was not prioritized as an on ball creator until injuries forced his hand. Injuries in COVID forced his hand, and he had to. And that's really concerning because, like, that's a third overall pick. Presumably, the front office would have, I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to, that like Tibbs would have known that his development is a key for the organization. Um, that's like a priority for the organization. And he approached it like a fucking dickhead, you know, like the first, however many games a season, RJ was a floor spacer for the likes of Kemba Walker um, and Evan Fournier who were not either. I mean, Kemba was just terrible as a creator this year and at everything really. And Fournier is not even close to as good as Randall, or sorry, as RJ is as a creator. On top of that, Randall has been awful for most of the year. So um, that it took that long and took all of these events to occur for that to happen is a major red flag to me. Um, and look, the offensive scheme stuff, we can say and talk about it, like it, it's still very basic. And I think it's good that they're pushing the pace more. Uh, actually, over the last 15 games, the Knicks rank 15th in pace. Um, so, like, that's been a definite change. It's It's been an obvious one. But, like, we've also seen over those 15 games, a lot of times, what happens down the stretch of those games, right? Um, and that's, um, you know, that's <laughs> that's something you have to consider, uh, is, is how much does that, um, you know, can he change in the moments that matter the most? I don't know. Um, I, I really don't. And that's, I just think if you're, if you ultimately feel like he's not the coach for you long-term, then you should move on at the end of the season. Not because that means he's a terrible coach or something, but like, if you've already made the decision that he is not the guy for you long-term, why wait? What is the benefit of that? To me, that's just a waste of time. Like you've already made that determination. So move on. And if they think that he is the coach, then fine. But like, you also have to accept that he has limitations. And I think it's incumbent upon the front office then to add an offensive coordinator to his staff. And if they don't do that, they're they're failing him. And I, I think this is like probably a good place to switch gears here a little bit too, because um, this is tied into the tips question. But like, I think we can all say like, I, look, I think RJ quickly. You know, those two guys for sure have established themselves as young players who I don't really want to debate wh how, what their role should be, but they're 
definite pieces of a rotation uh, in New York. Um, I think we've seen and Grimes, yeah, and Grimes, and then we've seen promising signs from Cam and Deuce and Obi, and like you know, Rokas. He's probably not going to come over next year, but like he's out there too as a guy they drafted. Sims has shown some promise. Mitch, we'll see what happens with him, but if they bring him back, like the Knicks are at a point now where like they need to start really considering consolidation trades because they have a lot of pieces. And the other thing is like I think these young guys are worth investing in a lot more in terms of time, like playing time and money um, than the veterans they have. And so like the Knicks are at a point where. If you're going to keep Tibbs, um, I still think that you need... I, I don't think it really matters who the coach is. I think that you need to move off of uh, some of these vets. I don't think it, it's... It's not necessarily like a dire, like, oh my god, if they don't do it, it's a complete failure. But I do think that, like, most prudently, they need to get off of some of these vets, consolidate some of these pieces. Um, that can be for future picks. It can be in a move to package stuff together for a positional upgrade, like a starting five you like better than Mitch or a starting wing that you think pairs most effectively with RJ or a quote-unquote floor general point guard. I'm not sure. It can be any of those things, but it's it has to be something, I think, um, as the Knicks go into this offseason. I think if Tibbs is staying and Tibbs loves Randall and so they're going to keep Randall, if the front office knows they're keeping Randall and knows they're keeping Tibbs, I think they have to trade Obi this offseason. And I hate saying that because I love Obi. Um, but this is the peak of his value. It, this is as high as his value will be with this many years remaining um, with Tibbs. Because he, if Tibbs stays and Randall stays, his value is only going to go down. Um, it, even if he becomes a better shooter. Tibbs has just not proven that he'll play him and Randall together. Um, and that's a shame. I really like Obi and I really like what he showed, especially at the start of this season. Um, but as long as he's pigeonholed as Randall's backup and as long as he's pigeonholed as a power forward, he's just completely dependent on becoming at least an average shooter. And he has not, that's, that's the one area he hasn't made any strides. And so I think they have to, you know, if they can entice somebody on his potential, and say, take Fournier, take Obi, that's the consolidation. I think that's the road to consolidation right now, there, and I think that could get something. Um, I, I'm curious to hear what you guys think that would get in return, but I, I don't think it would be nothing. I, I think they could get something back for Obi, Fournier, and plus maybe a pick. So, yeah, I mean, and I think that brings up an interesting point, because I think what in a perfect world, what Austin, probably the front office would do, would be trade Fournier, Burks, Noel, whatever they can get for Kemba, and that's your consolidation, right? Um, but A, they're probably going to bring in, I mean, they're probably going to target someone like, could be Brunson, could be Colin Sexton, could be um, Malcolm Brogdon, who knows, right? Uh, so, And then they're probably going to have a draft pick, and that'll be a lottery pick, so you want to make time for them. And the reality is, even just getting rid of the old guys, is probably not. Or sorry, just getting rid of those four that I mentioned is probably not the is not even enough consolidation to get everyone we want minutes minutes. So you're probably gonna have to send some young guys away. So I think the trade you mentioned was Obi, um, Fournier, and, and like picks or something, or Obi and Fournier. 
Yeah, Obi Fournier and then picks, you know, any range of picks. I mean, if you think just Obi and Fournier could get stuff, then I'd be interested to hear that, obviously. But yeah, just anything in that range. Yeah, I don't think Fournier's looked. I'm just trying to think of teams where that would be a good fit. I mean, maybe Golden State sees a small ball five in Obi and, and likes Fournier shooting. But what would, I mean, you know, and they don't want to pay Jordan Poole or something like that. And, and we bring him over, maybe. I don't know. Um, but um, I mean, that, that could be a possibility, sure. Um, I would think that maybe Obi Fournier and a pick or something like that would be maybe enough to get a Malcolm Brogdon in the door. Um, if that's something that the Knicks want to do to upgrade at the lead guard spot. Um, I think that if you put Obi and Rose together, that might be a package that could really get you something. Obi, Rose, and a pick. Um, I'm not sure what it would get you, but I do think that's a, that's a package that uh, a certain teams would probably be very interested in, given Rose's abilities as a backup point. Um, it's just really hard to identify exactly what is out there. I mean, I will say this, like after watching the Kings a bunch um, this year and over the trade, I, I really don't think the Knicks should roll anything into making a move for De'Aaron Fox. I just don't think that's a good fit for this team. I don't think he'd be a good fit with RJ. Um, and I don't know if you guys, on the on the Kings broadcast last night, they were like, they were talking about Fox like he's, you know, the second coming. So I think they called him the best point guard in the league over the last couple of weeks. And they said that. You know, so it's just them coming. Sorry. Yeah, right. No, I mean, they were saying like, they literally at one point were like, oh, yeah, his defense has been like so much better lately. And I, I have no idea what they're watching. No, he had uh, some awful. I think Benji and. Um, uh, and, and Jeff both highlighted just awful possessions from like there was that one dunk where like I think Benji said like it looked like it was a hezzy from RJ in transition but in retrospect like it was just it was literal Matador D from Fox he was just like yeah I'm not doing anything about this yeah it was he was he's not very inspiring but like yeah I mean I think I, I, I do think like a tri- like Fournier to the Pacers I feel like that's possible as kind of a make weight to get Brogdon. Uh, he does have a shorter contract uh, given that the last year of his deal is non-guaranteed or it's a team option or whatever the fuck it is. Um, obviously they're kind of pivoting to more of a youth oriented build. So I think getting a shooter like Fournier while also adding a power forward like Obi, uh, who's still in his rookie deal, that could be appealing. Obviously maybe you have to throw in a pick or whatever it is, but like, I mean, I, I do think that like Obi and, and, Fournier plus a pick is a construct for a deal. I just don't know for who. And you know, if you're the Knicks, maybe you need to consider like, is it time to risk more to to make a win now move and and add some pieces here? Because you know, even like I I love Deuce. I'm really happy with what I've seen from him. But like, if you are ultimately going to make a move for a guard, I mean, maybe it does make sense to include him in a deal, right? And um, that's why it's important for him to get minutes down the stretch of this season so that, one, you know exactly what his value is like internally, how do you value what he provides, and also just to get him value in the trade market. Because before he started playing the last couple of games, most teams would have just been like, well, why would we value this? You don't. You don't play him. We have no idea what the hell he can do in an NBA court. So um, that's another consideration they need to make is like you've just got so many young guys the Knicks also have their first this year, and they have a second, and then they obviously still have 
two firsts next year, uh, one from Dallas. We'll see if they keep that pick. But like they have so many picks that at some point it's fine to consolidate, even if you're paying, you know, like it's okay to trade five quarter five quarters for a dollar potentially. You know what I mean? Like I just think that Knicks need to be willing to to give up a little bit of extra value if it helps consolidate and improve and kind of tighten their rotations and streamline what they're thinking needs to be. So especially you talked about Deuce, but uh, this is a point that Tyrese has made um, incessantly every time the guards look good. But um, I, I, I like Tyrese. I've just given him some shit. But I it's don't. something Tyrese he's sucks. <laughs> Uh, but it's the it's a point he made again, which is um, well, he, you know, the point is that we have quickly Deuce and Yokubaitis, who either coming next year or the year after, or the year after. But you have those three young guards now. I think all three Rokas because of his size, quickly and Deuce because of their shooting and, and defensive versatility, can play two. They can each play the one or the two. I think you can play them together. But you also have Rose. You're probably going to target a veteran point guard unless they don't this offseason and they just are lean into tanking next you're not tanking but lean into like we're just we're not competing yet but i don't think they're gonna do that so i mean a do you think that moving rose is the best option both from how much you can get back in terms of value as well as like now you as well as that would be the ideal thing or do you think we're gonna have to move one of those three like do you see a, a scenario in which those three young guards are all of the team going forward yeah, I mean, I could see a scenario where that happens. I mean, I'll say this, like, if Quickly's playing at this level right now, and let's say he sustains it over the rest of the rest of the season, I mean, why would I want Rose back? Like, I- I'm genuinely asking that. I'm not saying, I know he's a different type of guard. He's a more dynamic downhill at the rim attacking guard. But, like, he's also, what, 33, 34? So, and the uh, guys we mentioned, right, are that type of guard, right? So... Like yeah, right, Brunson, exactly. uh, Brogdon, and and Sexton. So, um, is somebody rubbing against their microphone or something? Yeah, I was curious uh, what that noise was. That was me. Sorry, it's a little chilly yeah. in my house. I thought you were like, <laughs> I thought you were like starting a fire or something. Um, <laughs> I, it was always burning, but so. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I mean, look, I I think Rose is what he's thirty three, thirty four. If you especially look, if you fire Tibbs and you move on to a new coach. I mean, would does Rose would Rose want to be here at that point, or would you be doing him a solid by trading him to a team that is more of a contender or looking to win now type of thing? Because this is the other thing the Knicks need to figure out: like, what are they trying to do? Because if they're pivoting to a more youth-oriented build, which I personally would encourage them to do, um, I don't think that necessarily means that you're not trying to win games next year, but you're effectively telegraphing that you're not you're not in the business of seriously considering yourself a title team next year or probably the year after. Um, again, I'm not saying that that means you're tanking, but you're not really looking to contend um, in a way. And so is that appealing for Rose? Is he just happy to be in New York and be a Nick and he doesn't care about that? I don't know. Um, but I also think the Knicks need to do what's best for them. Like, Again, he's 33, 34 years old. You can probably get positive value for him right now in a trade. Um, this is a good time to cash out on him. Like, is this, you know, if if 
all these things are happening and quickly looks better and deuce and and him look like a really promising backcourt pairing or whatever like i just think that you need to be open to any and all possibilities because i got a lot of pushback on like i think the Knicks should consider trading rose i just don't see why he should be like oh no we can't trade rose why the fuck can't we trade eric rose like i like he's been really good for us i don't don't get me wrong but like he's injury prone he's older he effectively well is, is that going not- to cut into his trade value right is he more valuable to us than he is to another team because another team is going to be like we're not giving up anything of value for someone who can only play or maybe is it a certain is it a playoff contender? Right? The team that comes to mind actually is Dallas. If, if we did this sign and trade, but I wonder how much of a hit his value takes because of the injury proneness. Yeah, Dallas is one. I mean, the Lakers could definitely use Derrick Rose. I mean, there's a there's plenty of teams that can use a guard like that. I mean, fucking Atlanta could use him because their backup guard spot has been a tire fire for them for years now. What about um, Sharif Cooper? Yeah, well, <laughs> it could be. Maybe we can get him back for Derrick Rose and appease everybody. Um, but like, yeah, I, I'm i not out on Derrick Rose, but I think I'm a lot more open to trading him this offseason than it seems a lot of people are. Because I just don't see, you know, to your point, like if the Knicks are high on Yokobitis uh, internally, or if they are in position to draft a Jaden Ivey or sign and trade for a Jalen Brunson or something like that, like at some point, like, are you just better served using Rose as a mechanism to get assets or whatever and, and just move him out because you're going to effectively replace those minutes with other dudes? Like, I I think it's something that they really need to consider for sure. I mean, this is the same logic that we have for Burks, right? Burks isn't as good as Rose, but it's like we need to move Burks, not because he's bad, but because he's actively blocking wings, <laughs> younger wings on the roster and preventing them from getting extended opportunities, which obviously is exacerbated by by Tibbs kind of management of him as well. Yeah. I mean, Rose definitely shouldn't be untouchable. Um, the one part I think I disagree with you on slightly is that I, I think that if like, let's say I'm just making this up, but let's say the Knicks have two options and that's include Ray, R- Rose in a package for Brogdon or acquire uh, Jalen Brunson but keep Rose, right? Um, I think that in a world where the Knicks can get a starting level point guard back without giving Rose, that's the exact paradigm where you would want to keep him because Tibbs would not have to uh, overtax him. And so when you account for, like, let's just say they can bring in Brunson and they can keep quickly and they can keep Rose all of a sudden you have a starting level point guard who's going to play, you know, 30 plus minutes a game and you have a third year quickly who's continued to come along. Rose is going to be in his wheelhouse of, okay, I'm just going to come off the bench. I'm going to impact the game the way I can. And you have to consider, you know, if you're giving up Rose and Obi for Brogdon, now all of a sudden you've got quickly just by himself coming off the bench. And I mean, I, you know me, I, I believe in quickly as much as anybody, but at a certain level, there's a line where Rose plus quickly plus point guard X is better than just quickly and point guard Y. So I 100% agree with you. You have to be open to trading Rose and he shouldn't be untouchable. But I do think there is a, um, a paradigm where him on the team with a point guard is a really good outcome for him and the team. I mean, I just, but then don't you have to trade 
I mean, you'd have to trade Deuce then. Like, then Deuce isn't getting minutes. Like, this is my thing, is, like, Rose is blocking a lot of dudes. Like, he's blocking quickly from getting on-ball reps. He's probably eliminating any opportunity Deuce has of getting in the rotation. Um, Rokas, he's not going to come over for as long as Rose is here, which, like, isn't a big crisis, by the way. I'm, I'm fine with that. I actually, it's better to push that back as much as you can because once he comes over, the clock starts on his contract, right? So like, I'm fine with him. If the Knicks are like, hey, just stay over there for another year, two years, whatever, that's not a big deal to me. Um, but I just think that, like, Rose, as good as he is, again, he's 33, 34. Is he really a long-term piece? I don't think so. So, you know, let's see what quickly and do's do for the rest of the year. Because if they are as good as we think they are or as good as they've been playing and they and they really close out the year strong, then why do we even need Derrick Rose? Even if we do ultimately want to trade for a starting point guard, then I feel like we absolutely should be looking to move Derrick Rose um, in, a, in some capacity towards that goal. So yeah. in, your, in your ideal world, if let's say quickly induce finish the year out strong, and let's say we can trade for a point guard involving Ro- Rose, in an ideal Schwinn world, you would say that guy's the starting point guard and then quickly induces the starting backcourt? Is that what you're saying? The backup backcourt, right? The backup backcourt, excuse me, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's 100% what I'm saying. Absolutely. Cool. An yeah, ideal Schwinn world it definitely sounds like a scary place. Let me um, <laughs> let me ask you this though: Who do you think would fetch more value in a trade at this point, Rose or Deuce, or Deuce the like this version of Deuce getting twenty games, not looking overwhelmed, showing some flashes, and all of that? Sorry, say that again. So, I mean, in terms of let's say whether we're trading for a Donovan Mitchell or whether we just need to consolidate and get as many assets as possible, right? Who do you think has? We're probably not going to trade for someone like Donovan Mitchell, but who do you think has more value um, on the trade market, Derrick Rose or Deuce McBride? Assuming he plays like this for the next twenty games or whatever. Um, I think I would rather have Deuce. Uh, but so you think he would fetch us more? Who would who would get more on the trade market? Do you think Rose? Hundred percent Rose. Yeah, then it becomes more of a no brainer, right? Because if Deuce is a more likely to fit into your future plans and um and you know like the only reason way i would hold on to rose if i felt like we were going to contend within the next year or two or whether we were going to have someone with who we're going to target someone in the trade with whom he's a great fit i don't think he's necessarily the best fit with julius randall i certainly don't think those two are going to win a championship even if you put like donovan mitchell next to him right so um yeah i mean I, i think that that makes Rose the most, the guy worth most looking into as as part of a trade. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I said what I was saying, I was being super optimistic and maybe that's just me being a homer, but like, let's say we got Brunson um, and Fournier for, let's just say we got Brunson for the, for the Fournier OB sign and trade or whatever. I don't even know if you can do that, but um. And all of a sudden, we had a, a team of, you know, Brunson, uh, Grimes, Barrett, Randall. Say we keep Mitch, and then off the bench, we've got Quickly, and we've got Burks, and we've got Cam, and we've got you know backup center. I, I just think that's a good team. And With Rose. Yeah, 
with Rose off the bench next. But then you're paying Rose to be you're paying Rose thirteen million dollars a year to back up Jalen Brunson, who presumably like I don't know if like would you play Rose and Brunson that much together? Because you're probably not going to play Rose. Also, like, why do we want? I like Burks, but why do we want Burks here next year? Like, oh well, he's just going to be on the team, isn't he? I mean, we could trade him. Like, this is what yeah. I'm. Frank, I, I, sorry, George, uh, Jeff, sorry. Wow, <laughs> Jeff, because I, I was going back between Frank Barrett and your Jeff. Jeff was yeah. saying that, assuming I think we just do the Fournier Obi trade, right? So, right, yeah. Like, yeah my my point is like that's just like I think the Knicks need to make some hard decisions. Like, I don't really want Burks here. Like, this is my point. Is like I think the Knicks need to lean towards a more youth oriented build. Um, and that doesn't mean they need to get rid of all these veterans, but like, like I can understand why they would be unable to move Fournier, right? Like I wouldn't kill them for that. It would maybe suck in the moment, but like, that's it, not a huge deal to me, but like Burks, you can move him. You can probably get like a couple of seconds for him. Just don't be haggle over what those seconds are. Like you can do that. Just move him, move on. Like Derek Rose, if you get Jalen Brunson, why do you, I want him like, like I'm already paying Rose. Or I'm already paying Brunson in that scenario, and quickly would be up for his extension after next season potentially. Like I want to get as much information on that guy as much as as I can. I want to push him. I want to see what he can do in backup lead guard minutes. Like I want to see what he does when if Brunson misses time and quickly has to step in as a lead guard. Like these are the things I want to see. I don't give a shit about Derrick Rose anymore because I know what Derrick Rose is. He's a good player, but he's not going to help me. Like he's not helping my future, and he's not going to be part of the next Knicks team that is a competitive contending team. And to that end, the Knicks would be better off moving him to kind of like, in a way you're, you're pushing your value down the line. Like you want to convert his value into something that can help you in the future at this point. That That's just fundamentally what I think. Like I, I like Rose and if they keep Rose, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to like lose my mind about it because I do think that he adds a dynamic that, they don't necessarily have, at least not on the roster right now. Um, I think he's a pretty good vet for these around these kids. They all seem to look up to him and value what he provides. So I'm okay with that. But like, if I'm the front office, I think they need to be not necessarily ruthless is the wrong word, but I do think they need to be like a little more just get shit done this offseason and not like enough of the kind of having the best of both worlds and staying flexible and and balancing no like if you're gonna go if you're gonna try to win now then then try to make that then then do that if you want to commit to this youth oriented build which i do think they seem to want to do given the trade for cam reddish like then commit to that then then trade some of these vets and even if you're not getting the value that you want for them like if you have to sell if you had to trade them off or less value than, than what you peg them as um that's okay like just do that then but they have to make a decision they cannot we cannot go into next season again with this overloaded roster of like similar caliber guys but on totally different trajectories with competing kind of interests at hand you know like burks is a good player but that's what he is like he helps a team that's looking to contend more so than a team like us where we're still kind of finding our footing and building towards the future um and and look like I don't think Julius would be. I mean, Julius. Let's be real. Like Julius has not played himself, I mean, and he was amazing last night. By the way, he was incredible last night. Like the guy that played last night. If you know, that's the one that you're scared of. Like if you trade him, 
is that guy going to come back? In, in, the se- in the second half, though, right? Like, that first yeah. quarter performance was insane. 14, like, that was one of the most selfish quarters of basketball I've ever... And, like, I know some of it was by design. Like, the, the, the Knicks would dribble the ball across the court and Tibbs would just call an ISO. But that well, it was, was just- it was very weird when once I once quickly and Deuce came in especially it was really weird he was like having Deuce play point guard and then but then like Deuce would just bring the ball up and toss it to Randall and then nothing else would happen on the possessions it was it was definitely very weird I 100 percent with you but like yeah. you know all I'm saying is like even with Randall like is Randall going to be okay with that one I don't give a shit like mm-hmm. he hasn't played well at all this year he's been miserable in a lot of ways um his personality and demeanor maybe he has something going on off the court i don't know i'm not trying to speculate i don't want angry people uh related to him yelling at me on twitter about it um but like i don't know i have no idea but like he hasn't played well enough that the knicks need to be super worried about what he wants ideally you know um i also think he would benefit actually from playing with the young guys more with these dudes that are more athletic more uh energetic more willing to make extra rotations and stuff like that defensively i think he would benefit from that a lot um but like they have to make a decision on him too ultimately like are they going to trade him like are they do they want to keep him if they keep him what does that mean for the rest of the roster how does he fit with rj is he cool if rj supersedes him in the kind of hierarchy of the team um I'm sure last night felt very good for him, but like personally, uh, he needs to do a lot more before I start even considering him, uh, considering what he needs and what works around him. Uh, anywhere, but even 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 last even last night even last night to your point, I mean, when they both came off the floor, the Knicks fans that were in Sacramento were chanting R.J. Barrett. Did you see that that viral clip where yeah, R.J. Yeah, was yeah. like standing on the bench, like prodding them on? Like, like, I mean, the that ship has sailed. So, if Randall can't accept that, we need to trade him because he's 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 done being the guy on this team. Like, that's over. Um, RJ is this is RJ's team until he either plays himself out of it or something else happens, or we you know trade for a super duper star. But um, I 100% agree with you. By the way, that first of all, the Knicks have to pick a lane. They just have to. They have to pick a lane and commit to it. And then specifically, if you don't think they can contend or even pseudo contend next year, then the lane they have to pick is that of development and, and focusing on the young guys. So, I mean, I was sort of pushing back, but I 100% agree with your your assessment of the situation. Yeah, and I, and here's the other thing, too, is I don't necessarily think, like, making a consolidation trade needs to be for a veteran. Like, I think... What if the Knicks look at this draft and they're like, you know what? If we can just get Jabari Smith and pair him with RJ Barrett for the next fucking eight years, that's what we need to do. Like, if th- there's multiple ways to consolidate that that go beyond just trading for a win now veteran that helps you on the court immediately. Like, I think there's value to that personally. Like, I, I would be ecstatic if they made an aggressive move for somebody like Jabari Smith or Jaden Ivey. Um, I think Knicks fans in general would also be really, really bullish about that. Um, so, like, these are other considerations to make. Like, personally, I look at somebody like Jabari Smith, and I just see a kid who, like, if, you, if you're looking at, like, what do you need to compete in the East for the next four or five years, right? Like, who, who are the key players on other teams that you're, you're going to need to figure out how to neutralize? And, like, the two that really, I mean, there's three, really, that, that stand out. Um, 
which to me are Giannis, obviously, Embiid, and Tatum. And like a guy like Jabari Smith is a dude who, when you project out, is somebody who can help you with at least two of those dudes, potentially. Um, Embiid is... Who the fuck, that's his own thing. You, know, you got to figure that out somehow. But, um, you know, like, I just... I, I think, like, that's another consideration the Knicks need to make is, like, hey, look, like, we gave this a legitimate shot. You know, this whole Randall kind of build in the middle and see what happens. And, you know, we tried to add some vets that could potentially move us up the wind. Like, they tried. I don't think they need to feel bad about that. But, like, I think it's okay to also be realistic and be like, hey, look, like, what is our path to competing with these teams that have these guys who are going to be there for the foreseeable future? And what, do we have enough firepower uh, to match that? And especially, obviously, with Julius playing the way he has this year, the answer is 100% no. Um, but, like, you know, maybe Julius does bounce back. But, I mean, is that even a bad thing? Like, if Julius bounces back and you did consolidate and you made a move up for one of these two guys, right, like a Jabari Smith or a Jaden Ivey, um, I, I don't have strong thoughts on Chet. I'm just not naming him. Like, he is a very tantalizing talent who terrifies me in many ways, but is probably going to be the number one pick, I'm assuming. You don't like Paolo's face. I don't like Paolo's face. I don't like Paolo. I don't, I'm not impressed by him. Um, but, like, those, like, I, I just think that, like, you know, Jabari Smith, he's probably a 3-4, but, like, if Julius does end up learning how to shoot again, like, that seems like one of those good problems, you know? Like, oh, now we have a jumbo 2-3-4, or we can downsize and go him and Randall at the 4-5, and five, and, you know, I just think, like, he opens up a world of possibilities for this team, and I just think he's such a unique talent, but, like, that that's kind of my thinking is I'm not convinced there's any path to acquiring the type of veteran talent or win now talent that could meaningfully push them up the uh, conference as it stands right now. Uh, maybe an SGA becomes available. Uh, who knows if he does become available, that changes the calculus also. But like if the, if the options are kind of like, make a move for a Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon type or Jalen Brunson type or move up aggressively in the draft for somebody like a Jabari Smith or a Jaden Ivey or something, um, I would much rather the latter, I think. I think it's very, I think it's almost like time for the Knicks to gamble on somebody in the draft uh, to, to make a to make an aggressive move up, up the draft board. Maybe I mean, maybe this is the year that Adam Silver helps rig the draft and we just move up anyway, but yeah. That would be... That would be pretty great. In, in all of this, <laughs> is there any scenario we've mentioned in which you could see Tibbs being both willing? Like, if you trade Derrick Rose, I think that would probably be given all of the stuff we've started to hear about kind of some of the tension. That seems to me like it would be a death knell. Um, like, he probably would resign or, or leave. Uh, but do you see a scenario in which it would make sense for Tibbs? to be the coach because you said the offensive coordinator but um i forget if it was berman or bondi i forget who was talking about this but he doesn't really do that kind of like game planning and that kind of thing is all him the assistants mostly handle practice but is there a scenario in which you see tibbs being the guy next year at all i my thing is like of the ones you just outlined right because you outlined a few consolidate to move in the draft consolidate to get a Maybe maybe you get a Brogdon or someone like that, I mean, no matter what. But if you give him like an 
a younger team, I don't think he actually would be bad at coaching it. Like, it's not his preference. We know that. But I don't think he's bad at coaching young players. I think he's a jackass about their minutes when he has veterans that he trusts on the team because then he'll just pull the young guys and play the vets. But, like, I don't think there's any evidence that, one, his approach is detrimental to the long-term development of any player. There's no evidence. I definitely agree with that. In fact, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary because he has a track record of a lot of young guys playing well, including the ones on this team, which, um, you know, some of them are younger, but like, you know, you can't, you can't say that he's hurt them at the very least. Right. Um, So I think that's something to to mention. And then also, you know, the other piece of it is um, if he doesn't have options, like if he doesn't have veteran options that he can lean on, then he has to just lean on, the young dudes and that is what it is i don't think he'd be bad at that but if he doesn't want to do that which is fine like he's an older coach you know you got to remember that he's what 64 65 like he's not he's not a young dude who's like trying to make it in the league um that's something to consider and then the other thing for me is just like the lack of willingness to experiment is really that's my primary issue that is my biggest issue with him this year. And it's like experimentation, you know, we can talk sit here and talk about the tactics and offensive scheme and strategy. And I do think they're very vanilla and simplistic and and that's a fair criticism of him. But like more than that, I just find the unwillingness to try different combinations and, and like like I bet Julius doubled his minutes the five yesterday, you know, like for the entire season. Like th- that's how crazy that is. Like he just is so committed to what he thinks is the right approach and what he feels is the right way to play in terms of what a team needs on the floor at all times that that rigidity frightens me so unless he can convince me that i'm open to to playing different combinations and playing small or playing like the other thing too is like he views playing two bigs as like this like you can play big without a center on the floor. You know what I mean? Like the Raptors do that all the time. They play like Pascal and Scotty Barnes and like, you know, 15 other dudes who are all just these gigantic lengthy, like the Knicks could easily go if they really wanted to, right? Let's just, they could go quickly, RJ, Cam, Obi, Randall. Is that a small lineup? No, I don't think so. I wouldn't call that a small lineup, even though it's technically a small lineup with Randall at the five, but like that's that's the type of stuff where like I'm not saying that'll all not not all of these things that we suggest are going to work, but it's not that's not what it's about. It's about the willingness to test things and test ideas out because when you look at the NBA playoffs now, and this wasn't always the case, um, especially not when like Tibbs was coming up through the coaching ranks in the '90s into the 2000s, like. I don't think the the game, especially in the playoffs, or not especially in the playoffs, but across the board, it wasn't as much of like a tactical chess match as it is now. And I think you see that in the playoffs now every single year where you need to be able to play different ways and employ different schemes and strategies, um, game to game, series to series, even within game, you know, like you need to be able to adapt to different things that are thrown at you. And his rigidity is, is the thing that I think holds him back the most because I don't think he's a tactic tactically stupid I don't think like he doesn't understand I, I think he fully understands the importance of like you know mori ball shots and stuff like that like I, I think he understands those things but is he willing to approach finding solutions 
from a different viewpoint. I'm not sure. Uh, I actually, I'm not. There's no evidence that he is. I mean, yesterday, the last couple of games has been encouraging to see it, but as we've talked about, a lot of that is also just injuries and absences forcing his hand. So but, that, but that if would he does be my have, concern. But if, I mean, to your point, maybe that is the best way to save, you know, abandon Tibbs' principles to save Tibbs, right? To paraphrase George Bush. Um, you know, maybe you trade away, if you trade away his crutches, uh, he's forced to run. He's forced to um, he's forced to play the young guys. And as we've seen, he, they actually he has shown he can, he's more creative. And by the way, I, I don't think he's an unimaginative coach necessarily. I think he's just extremely risk averse and kind of set in his ways. But I think like, like I think he's perfectly capable. To your point of like you know designing some creative ways to to get players the ball in their favorite spots. I just think he might have to be pushed to it. Maybe the right way to do that is to kind of give him no choice but to play the kids even and then at that point if he's just like well i'm not going to stay for that then then um you know then you you promote bryant who i think is fine with that right and you know go from there but i think schwinn's point is that even in that scenario what we've seen from tibbs thus far is that he would just find like like i'm not saying what you're saying wouldn't help it it of course would to you know, take the gun out of his hand and and force him to just play more conducive line, uh, more conducive lineups to success. But he would still ultimately land on a status quo and just jam it and just and just press it over and over again. At least that's what we've seen from him, and that's what we should believe he would do again. Is he would would he would he be prepared if that team you know made the playoffs and had to play a playoff series? And got a, their their first punch was taken, and they had to you know they had to have a plan B. Would he be prepared for that? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think um, you know. Yeah, I just thought of punching it over again. That sounds like when I first started playing Madden, I was like six and just wanted to only play Engage Eight every time. Think, <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um, going, but on that point, it kind of made me think of Woodson during that fifty-four win season, right? Because he obviously opened up the offense, mellowed the four. Um, they shot a ton of threes, avoided turnovers, um, went small, I think, even at times. I mean, he played Copeland at five pretty uh, pretty often in the regular season. And then, obviously, they just went away from a lot of that in the playoffs, and he couldn't adjust, right? Um, but even I would take this. Like, if, this, if we forced Tibbs, right, to, like, be more flexible, play a creative brand in the regular season, and then in the playoffs, he just reverts to bad principles and it doesn't work that you've still squeezed three years out of him and then you can make the decision. Right. I, I mean, I thought that, I think it, I thought it was always a three year plan. Um, but I think, you know, giving him a shot and then maybe if it falls apart in the playoffs, you know, maybe, maybe that would look a little bit better. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I just, I just, I just, I, I just, I just don't think like, I don't know how you can operate as a front office in the sense of like, you have to, like Tibbs proof a roster to get the best out of him. That doesn't really make sense to me. And it's not really appealing from a management perspective to have to like protect lower management from themselves, you know, like that, that doesn't really make any sense to me. So I just think like either they believe Tibbs can adapt or they, or, or if you don't, you move on because like they haven't, they know him better than anybody, right? Like they've been with him for two years now, obviously in New York as a head coach, Leon knows him 
for years and years previously as his agent. Wes also knows him, um, worked with him previously at CAA. Like, they know him very, very well. They also, this is worth noting, they have more information on Johnny Bryant than anybody else in the NBA, other than maybe Utah. Because Walt Perrin has been with Johnny, Walt Perrin was with Utah when John when Johnny Bryant was hired. He's watched Johnny Bryant ascend from uh, basically a development coach to an assistant coach and now an associate head coach in New York. They have more information on him than anybody else does in the NBA. So if they think that he's ready to take this job or they think he's like a Ty Lue who's going to be able to adapt and, and be more flexible tactically and you know, balance the, the balance development with also trying to win now and all of these things, like then they should just go for it. But you know, I, I also do understand the argument of like generally speaking, as a front office, you get one head coaching change. And once you make that change, then results need to be on the way. So maybe they don't want to fire Tibbs because that kind of keeps that option open for them as a proverbial um, scapegoat, as people like to call this, because apparently nobody can ever be fired for just doing a bad job. They're either scapegoated or they're not. Um, but like, if they if that's a concern for them, I understand it. But personally, I think they should have enough evidence or belief in what Tibbs is as a coach um, at this point. And if they need to make a call, then make a call. Like then, I just think they need to go for it. I think they need to make strong choices and decisions, and they have enough here that that should be possible. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens. That's just kind of my thinking about it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you, and I, I think that I, I think that Tibbs is going to get another year for some of the reasons you mentioned, and. I just think there's enough excuses you can make uh, to combine with all the goodwill he built up after year one. You know, like even someone like Noel, like he can just be like, oh, well, Nerlens was hurt. And it's like, all right, well, like he was bad. And like how impactful could Nerlens Noel really have been this season? But okay, sure. And then Rose got hurt and then people had COVID and Randall took a big step back. There's just enough, you know, things to at least create a murky situation where, People are acting like it's a foregone conclusion that Thibodeau is going to be gone. I would honestly lean the other way, and I'd be really surprised if he was gone. Yeah, I, I did a thread on that. Right, um, it really comes down to. Uh, I think it'll it'll be if it if it does happen, I think it'll be a mutual parting of the ways because I think the front office is probably going to take some of the actions Schwinn uh, mentioned. Um, they're not going to trade the young guys for more vets. Um, and I think it'll be a choice on Tibbs' part, and he might say that he's out. I actually give that a pretty high likelihood. But I, I don't think, because I think that, you know, there were leaks on both sides. I think that that relationship, there's been frustration, I'm sure. Um, uh, I think Tibbs has probably leaked some of this stuff um, himself, because, you know, if he does want to get another job, he wants to be able to say, you know, be able to, to scapegoat the front office. Um and then the front office is playing their own game. But um but yeah, like in terms of like this wasn't a playoff team this year. So like when people talk about the dis- like a lot of people have also like we've all been frustrated with the stretch, three and seventeen it was, whatever. Um, but I, I still wouldn't call the season a disaster. Like they fell short of expectations, but 
um, you know, like the, the expectations weren't shouldn't have been that high in retrospect, right? Um, do you and, mean playoff team? Do you mean playoff team? I'm sorry, uh, Stacy. Do you mean playoff team including the plan, or do you mean like top six? Certainly not top eight or top nine. Um, like if you look at the teams ahead of us, most of them just have more talent. Like I think that's fair to say, right? Um, let's look at who's at Heat, Sixers, Bulls, Bucks, Celtics, Cavs. I don't think there's any question there. Then you have, I mean, the Horn- the Nets are ninth, right? You have Raptors, Hornets, Nets, Hawks. The Hawks beat us in the playoffs last year. The Nets are the Nets. Um, if you want to argue we're better than the Hornets or Raptors, I won't kill you, but we we haven't played well against those teams either, and they're both young, athletic, and, and up and coming, and both of them have um, an init- a primary initiator uh, as well as a couple of really athletic wings that, that cause a lot of problems. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if they're even a play-in play team just on talent. I don't know that there's so much... I mean, maybe if all of the other stuff went right, they they you know their experience shines them through over like a team like the Hawks that has floundered for much of the year or something. Um, yeah, but it's I, not I, like I, this I was guess... we weren't making any noise, right? And and those things didn't help Tibbs. So I, I certainly I think that I think that you can you can on one say that Tibbs ha- like hasn't adapted as well as you'd like in that situation. He hasn't shown the ability to to do creative things. Which to your point from before, if we do face a good team in the playoffs and he needs to have a plan B or a plan C. He, he hasn't shown that ability. You can believe those things and also believe that this year was kind of doomed no matter even if the Knicks had Red Holzman as coach, right? So Well he can't he can't the the Randall here's here's where I I just have a tough time getting to is like, yes, obviously Julius playing you know, the the volatility of Julius's performances this year, to put it kindly, have been extremely difficult to manage. Um like so, so when you do that, like, do, am I sympathetic to how difficult that is for him to manage as a coach? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been really, really tough for him. But even within that, he hasn't done anything to like maximize his his chances of winning each game. I mean, like, he benched Kemba, so he clearly knew that Kemba was cooked, but he handled that so fucking poorly. That he had to go back to Kemba to save face, which cost the Knicks a lot because Kemba was fucking terrible outside of one week this season. And then when he pivoted off of Kemba both times, he didn't start quickly. He didn't start Deuce. He didn't even bring Deuce into the rotation until he absolutely had to, even though we were running nine guys. And we know Tibbs, even, I don't care what he says, he has shown in his time in New York he prefers a 10-man rotation, not a nine-man rotation. Um he he didn't give those guys opportunities. He says that he looks at the data, yet he consistently fielded lineups that were the worst in our data. He did not stagger lineups until like he didn't discover staggering until the last week. You know, like he he's just shown he's lost a lot of games on the margins that I, I think it's actually understated the impact he's had this year as a coach. I know John Hollinger tried to pretend that it's insane that Knicks fans could possibly think that Emmanuel quickly playing more would help the team uh, perform better on the court. But, you know, hey, buddy, there's a reason why you don't work in a fucking front office anymore. Um, You know, like, I I just think that that there's, like, a lot of evidence of of him being a really bad coach this year. Like, I I funded, like, I thought he was great last year. And I think maybe he's a guy who's best suited to coaching up teams that are 
building out their talent base. But once they add certain talents, um, I don't know that I don't know if he's the guy to take it to the next level. And I also suspect that he's extreme. His rigidity holds him back from adapting to different collective groups of talent. That he needs a very very specific, um, a very very specific set of players together who bring certain skills at each position that he requires for his system. And and that like it's not adaptable. It's very rigid for him. And that's okay. Like that's just what he is as a coach. You know, that's not a bad coach. That's just a coach that has a ceiling. So like for me, again, like I just don't see, I just don't see the compelling argument to bring him back. Like I just really don't. Just me. I I don't know. Like I, and I hope that they don't because I think ultimately they're going to end up in the same place. Twenty five. 30, 40 games in next year where there's infighting and there's issues with how certain talent is being maximized. I mean, like, let's not like this idea that that the front office didn't communicate with him about Reddish is so fucking it's patently ridiculous. Like him and Leon are have known each other for years. Do you think they never talked about Reddish? Like what the front office expected? What they wanted? I mean, Tibbs is not a moron. He knows that they traded a first round pick for Cam Reddish. You know, like what do you think they want you to do, bro? You think they want you to bury him on the bench so you can keep playing Evan Fournier and Alec Brooks 35 minutes a night? Like, obviously not. You know, like, I just, I think, like, these are issues. It's awesome that we got to see Cam lately. Why did we get to see Cam lately? Why did we get to see more of Cam than we have recently? Because Obi was out on top of other injuries we've had. It's not because Tibbs, like, magically all of a sudden was like, you know what, I'm going to play Cam at the floor and see how this works. Like, no, it's because injuries forced his hand to try something that he has not shown any inclination to try previously. So, you know, this is why, like, I I don't want it to sound like I'm not giving Tibbs any credit for these last few games, but like, I mean, shit, we saw it in the Phoenix game. We saw it in the Phoenix game where he pulled Cam at the dumbest possible time. Like he, it was the Knicks had just kind of wrestled back some control of the game Cam had just hit two incredible layups that he created by himself. And he pulls him out for Fournier, who was awful. He was terrible the entire game. And he immediately got roasted, and he didn't pull, he didn't put Cam back in until the lead went from seven to, like, I think it was either a tie game or the Knicks were clinging to a two-point lead at the end at that point. So, like, I just, I just think there's so much evidence, even in this recent uptick, that, like, He's just not going to be the guy that you need him to be and want him to be, especially with a young team with these pieces that are very like adaptable and can do more than just one rigid thing. Like I remember, I always go back to this thing that PD Webb said about Tibbs, where he's like, "There's a misconception about Tibbs in that it's not that he doesn't like young players, but he needs he likes players that can do a thing because he can take that thing that they do." And figure out a way to use that within what he in his in in his like very rigid worldview of how a team should play basketball. So like he liked he loved quickly last year, right? Like he loved quickly playing off of Derrick Rose because he's like this is the perfect off guard for him. This year, I think he really struggled for a while to figure out what to do with quickly because he was having to use quickly as a point guard, but like he doesn't use his point guards in the way in like what Quickly's best attributes and skill sets are as a player, right? Like, I mean, just very basic stuff. Like, look at where we set our screens, right? Like, 
we don't set screens five feet above the arc. We set them like right at the arc, right? What is Quickly's best skill set? What is his most threatening skill set on the ball? Pull up three point shooting. So that right there is an example of him struggling to adapt to a player who's filling a role who has a different skill set from a Derrick Rose or from an Alfred Payne. I mean, he preferred starting Alfred Payne, who fucking sucked last year, just because he could dribble penetrate and give him that semblance of that of that of that skill set in the starting starting role. So, like, I just think there's just too much evidence here of a guy who uh, he's not. He just struggles to adapt to pieces that aren't ideally suited to what he wants. Right? He wants guys that do a thing, and then he can plug them in, and that's it. That's not how these young guys, especially on this team, um, if you're going to get to a place where you are a truly competitive team that can push at the top end of the Eastern Conference and maybe make the finals one day, I think you need a coach who has more more tools than that. And um, to go back to Stacy's comparing the Knicks to the rest of the East thing, sure, the Knicks... I, I agree with Stacy that the Knicks have less talent than all... all probably all 11 teams ahead of them. I don't agree but, with that at all. I think that's absolute bullshit, to be completely honest with you. Well, with the injuries, with Mitch being fat, with Rose being well, out. Every, every team's had injuries. Every team's had injuries. Well, don't matter. They don't okay, but even. But, I mean, you can name someone on all of those teams who's better than everyone on the Knicks right who's, now. Who's, who on the Hornets is better than everyone on the Knicks? I want to know that. Well, you're not going to agree, but I would argue that there are two players who have played who have played better than anyone on the Knicks this year. Oh, and Bridges. LaMelo and Bridges have both been better than anyone. And what have they done since Gordon Hayward was out injured? They've been terrible. Those guys are good players, but they're not these like high impact needle moving players in year in, in their at this point in their careers. They that that team is very good. They're very talented potentially moving forward, but there's no overwhelming talent. I mean, like outside of those two, I would take I would take our collection of young guys over the rest of whatever the fuck they have going on there. Kelly Oubre, Kai Jones, who doesn't fucking play, PJ Washington, who I like, but who is very, very up and down. Like they, all these teams are flawed. I mean, like Atlanta, they can't defend a fucking chair. They, they've been, they just lost yesterday to Detroit, who I know is playing better lately. But like, that's a game they blew. Like the, like I, I think that but Atlanta you know, also kicked our ass in the one in a playoff series last year. Like. I, I don't think you can like I understand why the Knicks are. It's not them. last year. It's not last year though. So who and we got cares? we aren't we haven't really gotten better. We're pretty much the same team, and they still have Trey Young, and they they didn't just they, they again. They was four. We one. are not better because you are playing shitty lineups, which depresses the value of everything on this team. Do you, you think like, that we have gotten we would have gotten so much better that we would have closed yes. the gap to the Hawks? Hundred percent. Because what they, they have right? one player who's way better. What is their He's not, first of all. But anyway, what is their record right now? They're I think Randall is close to Trey. I don't think Trey. I think Trey Young is an absolute garbage defensive player who gives away. So is Randall? Eighty pretty bad defender too. Especially I think more I, if you want to, if you really compare it, no, like, but he's at the four where what he does. Sorry, what? No, I, I, I just, just said, he's at the four where what he does can be potentially even more. Right, fine, I don't even care about this. Fine, Trey is better than everybody in our team. What the hell is their record? They're five hundred. They're thirty-one and thirty-three. 
Yeah, like I'm this sorry. Is, this that's... is this is kind of what Knicks, I was getting just, at. Just, just, in the, just, getting at. just in this last horrific stretch of games, okay? The Knicks have pissed away a game against Brooklyn. They were up 28. They pissed away a game against Portland. They were up 24. They pissed away a game against Phoenix, which they should have won. Which, by the way, is not all on tips either because the Knicks missed a lot of free throws. Like, they have pissed away so many games. The Lakers game. Yeah, the Lakers game. I mean, you look even to the start of the year. Look, at, look, Go back to the start of the year. How many games did we lose where we were all sitting here like, oh my God, this starting lineup sucks. Why are they still in 10 minutes into the third quarter? Like, there are so many games like this where he is literally pissed away games. And this is, mind you, when Derrick Rose is playing great. When quickly and Obi and the and Burks, that bench unit was flying. And he could have easily staggered that to bring in Rose earlier. Whatever. There were so many options he had that he refused to try early in the season. Okay. I, I just I think this idea that the Knicks are like so far behind the teams that are ahead of them is absurd. Like it, it, I mean that Brooklyn loss alone was ridiculous. Like the fact that they lost that game, I mean, I can't imagine that that was arguably the worst loss in Years, I, I don't. I, mean, I don't even know a loss that's comparable to that one. It was that bad. Yeah, uh, that was that was gonna be my point. Is that that even even okay? Let, let's let's just move past that. Even if even if you accept that the Knicks have less talent than all the teams ahead of them, you're not arguing like like whether Tibbs is underachieved or not, and whether the Knicks have underachieved or not isn't their position against the best of the talent ahead of them. You're arguing against what they've done. And right now the seven seed is 34 and 30 before this season, all three of us sat here and said the Knicks were an easy over, over 40, 40 and a half or 41 and a half or whatever. And like, there's no way that the Knicks can't be, you know, competing for the six or the seven seed right now. If the seven seed is 34 and 30, like they're just, this is as bad as it possibly could have been. And they're 27 and 38. Like they're only seven games behind. I'm not saying only like they can catch them, but I think that if the rotations were cleaner, if there was more staggering earlier, if there was less reliance on this status quo that he deemed to be the best thing. And he had to ride the starting lineup. Like they were the Suns. literally the sun before Kemba was taken out of the rotation, the Sun starting five was the only five-man rotation that had played more minutes in all of basketball. That's outrageous. That You go from the defending Western Conference champions to this unit that was literally the worst lineup in basketball and were as reliant on our lineup as they were on theirs. That's just outrageous. That's just so, so bad. So, yeah, I mean, like, even if we agree on our talent versus the rest of the East, I just can't get to saying that because of that we didn't massively underachieve because I think there's just tons of low-hanging fruit that Tibbs missed out on. I mean, there's also just like the fact that guys like Grimes didn't play. He, I mean, Tibbs loves this guy, right? But he didn't play until injuries forced him to play Grimes and he hit nine threes against the Nuggets. Like, that's Which is why everyone's saying, well, Deuce probably isn't ready. He watches him in practice. It's like you lost that credibility when um, – when Grimes played well, when Sims has hung well against top centers, like, yeah, I'm just, yeah. I mean, my only point is that I don't think this was any kind of world beating team. I agree with anywhere. that. And like going agree- anywhere useful this year, especially I- with, again, Mitch coming in, out to shape out, uh, to camp out of shape, Randall turning into a pumpkin. They, I guess you could have anticipated Rose getting hurt and Tibbs obviously didn't react to any of these things very well. But, um, but you know, those would have hurt a lot of coaches. That's all I'm saying. No, I, and I, I definitely like, I'm not suggesting that Tibbs like 
threw away a title team or something, or even a contender. I, like as even even us, like even when we were bullish about this team before the season, I don't think a single one of us thought this team had any chance of being a contender, right? Like I I didn't. I I don't think even like I mean, Stacy, I think you were probably like the most optimistic about us in terms of at least regular season win total. And even then, I don't think you would have classified us as a legitimate contender. Um, right? Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Right, yeah, and it's also been a weird season. Like, no one expected the Nets to be in ninth place. I did. Um, <laughs> I called that. Did we know Kyrie wasn't going to be vaxxed <laughs> and all of that at that time? Well, uh, I think so. No, we didn't. We didn't know. Yeah. Uh, so, but I did, I did, even then, I did, I, did, I was, like, pretty heavy on their under. I was, like, very skeptical of a lot of the issues that were going on with their team. But anyway, like, I just, I just feel like, to me, like, I'll put it this way. If you switch Nick Nurse and Tibbs, I would feel very comfortable saying the Knicks and the Raptors would be switched in the standings. Yeah, maybe. That's just like, I just think that like, this team needed... a good amount of evidence for that, yeah. Yeah. I just think this team really needed a coach. And this is not entirely on Tibbs. This is definitely not entirely on Tibbs. This team with, you know, for the a lot of the things that you just listed, right? Mitch being out of shape, Randall being whatever the hell... Kemba issues, Fournier, like all these issues that popped up, they really needed a coach who was more of a tinkerer than somebody who was like, this is how we're going to play and we're sticking to it. Um, I think a tinkerer would have gotten a lot more out of this team. A good tinkerer, not like a Fizdale tinkerer who had no idea what the fuck he was doing. But like a guy like Nick Nurse or um, you know, Spolstra, obviously the, the, the best one of this. Uh, I think they would have gotten a lot more out of this team. Whereas the guys like Tibbs who are more set in what they want to do. Um, Doc is probably the best version of this. Like, I know that he is a really big shit show in the playoffs, but I do think there's a reason why his teams consistently perform well in the regular season. Um, and I also think it's easy to like pretend that, of course, the Sixers are really good this year. But like, there was a point in the season, especially without Simmons there, where like they were a 500 team, you know. Um, so he clearly is good at kind of drilling into what he wants to do and then getting his teams to perform over the course of a season. That's like the high-end version of Tibbs, I guess. Um, but like, I think the best coaches now in this league are guys that tinker more, that experiment more. Uh, like for me, the three best coaches in the league are probably Spolstra, Nurse, and my. I think the best one is Ty Lue, personally. Um, and all three of those guys are adaptable. They're flexible. Their teams play different ways. Um, I mean, look, like, I know we've smacked the shit out of the Clippers twice, but, like, the Clippers are 34 and 32 this year. They haven't gotten a game out of Kawhi. Paul George has played, like, 18 games or something. So, effectively, they've had two max slots just sitting on the bench doing absolutely nothing for them this year, and they're above 500 in the West. And they're almost definitely going to be a play-in team at the very least. So, like, to me, yes, Tibbs has had a lot of shit thrown his way, but when you compare him to... And, like, I know it's... People will be like, it's unfair to compare him to like the best coaches in the league. Well, like, no, it's not. Because ultimately, like, that's what you need. Like, you need to get, like, you always want to strive for the best. So, like, when you are improving, it's okay if, like, like, Taylor Jenkins was not as good a coach as he is now last year or the year before that. But, like, he, along with the team, is improving, right? Like, to me, this year, I don't know if you can say that team necessarily improved i would argue that at the very least the young talent has and that part of the reason why it doesn't it isn't clear is because of tibbs's reluctance to 
give them the opportunities that they deserve necessarily. But like, I also think it's hard to say that Tibbs himself improved as a coach this year because what did he improve at? You know, like there's really nothing he tried new that worked better or, I mean, everything was basically the same as last year, right? In terms of how he managed the minutes, how he managed rotations, how he was reluctant to try and experiment with different lineups and stuff like that. I mean, Jeff has talked about this endlessly about how like the Knicks basically have the least lineup combinations in the NBA. Um, There's just so much evidence of this. And it's like, I I just fundamentally feel like because of how Tibbs is coached, this team looks or the talent level, the young talent level specifically on this team looks worse than it is. And I would venture to guess that is a big point of contention between the front office and Tibbs and the coaching staff, or maybe not the coaching staff, because I imagine that coaches like Johnny Bryan and Kenny Payne might have different ideas than Tibbs. But um, I, I do think that's like a very big bone of contention internally within the organization this year. And it's not like we're even asking him to be Ty Lue, you know? Like, like I thought that was so funny after the uh, after the last Clippers game when Thibodeau was like, "Oh, Ty Lue's a mad scientist," <laughs> and like I don't even know if he meant that as like a diss or like, but I feel like most Nick fans were like, "Yeah, can you be more like that, please?" <laughs> like, like I don't know. It was just he was acting like Lou is like this nut job because he was doing all these different lineup combinations and like playing Terrence Mann at center, and it's like you have a really versatile roster too, man. You can you can. You can try some stuff too, and like I like I open this with, it's not like we're asking him to be like Ty Lue, but just a little variety, a little versatility. I guarantee you, all three of us can come up with three, four, five man lineup combinations that the Knicks just haven't even deployed at all because of this hockey shift, rigid strategy that he uses with his rotations, and we just have so little information about certain combinations that really mattered going forward. Like that was the most depressing part about the three and 17 stretch. Like obviously this, uh, these two wins sort of soften the blow a little bit, but at a certain point you're watching these games and you're like, what are we learning? What are we, what is going to help us going forward that we just saw? And the answer was often very little, like nothing, especially that heat, that heat game. That was just brutal. Like we were just, yeah, it was just like that we were just not learning anything about this team and you can't do that at this point in the season. The 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 thing we know for sure is that the thing he keeps trying over and over again doesn't work. And like there are teams that do that like the Thunder. Like the Thunder know that right now uh you know Shea and Man and Giddy uh that trio like in ter- in terms of short-term wins doesn't really work you know like they're not winning they, they, they've been fine but they're they're not going to make the playoffs or anything and that's okay they're okay with learning that information night after night because it's growing but there's no value in the Knicks learning night after night that Alec Burks isn't a point guard so I don't understand why there isn't somebody who along the way hasn't been able to get that through to Thibodeau and I don't well, understand what he thinks he's learning and just like a very basic thing like I'll just give an example um the Heat are the number one team in the East, I think by three games. They're 44-22. and 22. Omer Yurtseven has played 621 minutes for them this year. Um, like, Brandon Boston, he's been pretty bad for the Clippers over his 656 minutes that he's played this year for a team that's better than the Knicks. Um, you can go up and down the league and find teams that are much better than the Knicks who have played 
similar types of younger players a lot more minutes than we played Miles McBride, who has played, guess what, 201 minutes. I know that there's an argument that, like, he wasn't ready and, like, Tibbs was patient and now he's in, including him at the time, like, the perfect time for him. Like, I'm sorry, I just kind of don't trust that talent ID when you see stuff, like, happened with Grimes, as Stacy has pointed out, like, 5,000 times before, um, and even the Jericho Sim stuff. So, like, that's just, you know, I, I think it's worth noting that, like, there are plenty of really good teams who have played similarly unheralded, lowly drafted players, um, plenty of minutes. I mean, Gabe Vincent, like, I, Gabe Vincent, Max, Max Struess, these guys have played, like, a shit ton of minutes for the Heat. Um, I don't know if, and, and look, like, not everybody that plays for Miami is all of a sudden great. Like, they've had guys that have sucked too, but the willingness to try and find out and, and give guys opportunities helps. I mean, Gabe Vincent, Guys played 1,384 minutes this year. He's been really good for them. You know, Max Struess, 1,238 minutes for them. He's been a lights-out shooter 40% from the field, like or 40% from three, rather. I have no idea if Deuce McBride could have this type of impact over longer minutes, but the fact we didn't try when the alternatives were so underwhelming and underperforming consistently is a really good problem. All right. I think we've been talking about this enough. Um, all right. Great. Uh, well, that's our pod for today. Thank you for listening for two hours and 18 minutes. Uh, Jeff, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, I've been contributing a little bit to this uh, film review web- website uh, called Invention of Dreams. And uh, it's really great. Yeah, they've got a, they've got a podcast that's hosted by the, the site runner, uh, Bernard Ozerowski, and his co-host. You may know him from. If you're listening to this, you probably you you may listen to Nick's film. You follow Nick's film school as well, and uh, the producer of the pod that they have over there, Andrew Andrew Claudio, is the co-host of the uh, the podcast, and it's really good. Just you know, lots of movie reviews, lots of different takes, lots of different perspectives, and yeah, I've uh, I've written a few reviews on some movies coming out early this year that I've really liked. I just wrote one on this movie called Gold, starring Zac Efron, um, which is kind of like a dystopian uh, movie where, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, that's what I've got going on these days outside of Nick's world, and I'm really excited about it. Awesome, man. Uh, I actually have that bookmark, so looking forward to reading it. Um, and thanks for all the work you've been doing on the website, too. Um, Stacy, anything that you'd like to plug before we get out here? Uh, yeah. Um... So um, if you if you uh, follow Draft Strickland or the draft at all, uh, the Strickland's draft big board, the first one we're releasing, which is um, kind of an amalgamation for myself, Prez, uh, Tyrese, and Oscar. I believe that's it. Oh, and, uh, and, and Draft Film School, Alex. Um, that will be coming out within the next couple of days. Um, and um, so if you want to start, you know, understanding, you know, um, how the uh, the amateurs at the Strickland evaluate this draft? Maybe want to start looking into some of the guys that may be available in our range and, and might be good fits. Uh, we're uh, releasing the big war first, but um, in the coming weeks there will be uh, quite a bit of content. Uh, I look forward to that. Also, um, I have nothing to plug myself, so I will just plug all of the work in the Strickland that um, both Jeff and Stacy also contribute to. Uh, I'm going to enjoy the Knicks not playing today, and I hope that they somehow manage to win tomorrow in Dallas, because that would be fun. 
even though they basically only have three wings and like two bigs and it'll be fun i'll be very interested to see how tibbs continues to adapt because that's just what he has to do right now uh but until then i uh, hope everybody has a great week and i'll see everybody again on friday